Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 118. Sphinxes, dragons, and darker things featuring low. I'm Scatty and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Thanks Scatty. Boy, it's fun to be here this fine evening and it's great to be here with you, Lo. Uh, most of you probably know of our friend Lo. Uh, known for their incredibly deep and thoughtful posts about all things of ice and fire. My favorite thing, Lo, is when you start a tweet with, I was listening to insert podcast <laughs> and I had some thoughts <laughs> and instantly I start rubbing my hands together. Because Let's go. I know it's going to be good. Let's and do it. <laughs> I'm ready. Lo, Lo, it's great to have you say hello. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. It's super fun to be here. I'm really right excited about you. this. Right back at you. What are we going to talk about? Well, we got we got a few announcements. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, Hawkeye will have come out when this episode releases. Hawkeye will have come out last Wednesday. Uh, we're speaking before we've watched it, of course, but I think it's safe to say that you should watch it. My sister wrote the comic arc Anchor Points, and that was the code name for the series as they were shooting. And I have minor confirmation that there are things from her story that made it into the series. So, interesting. So I don't, I don't know exactly what they're going to use. There were no details given to me or her. Honestly, she didn't tell her what they were going to use. It was just like a feeling that pervaded through the series or whatever so i don't know what but uh i'm really excited i'm if i'm honest the trailer didn't do a whole lot for me it was it was a little weak but hearing this that her stories involved has me more excited than ever so uh watch hawkeye from three days ago <laughs> so weird time is a weird soup but watch hawkeye I uh, haven't even watched the trailer, so. It's a little weird. It's got like a Christmas theme. It's like very light. It's like, it's like, God, I don't even remember which Christmas song it is. <laughs> it's the most wonderful time bow shot of the year. And like they're falling <laughs> through the snow and stuff. It just, I, I didn't love it, but I'm sure it'll be. Well, I'm, remember, I'm sure it'll be uh, remember WandaVision's trailer? It was terrible. And it was oh my God. nothing like the series. Did you watch WandaVision, Lo? Yeah. Oh really? yeah. It was even worse. <laughs> I loved it. Oh no. Yeah. No, it was amazing. The trailer gave nothing away. Yeah. Uh, that was super interesting. It seems. It seems like the Diz. That's what I call Disney Plus. The Diz is going for uh, a little bit of a lighter kind of feel, like a holiday spirit with this one, and that's okay. I think. I think given what I've seen of Hawkeye, of the two Hawkeyes. Uh, Hawkeye and, and Kate Bishop, the second Hawkeye. Uh, it'll work in a lighter fit. They're they got a good comic, uh, you know, jovial feel to them. I think it'll work okay. All right, take that one to the bank, listeners. Scad thinks it'll be okay. So. Man, I feel so committed <laughs> to my sister's work. Don't I? Um, you have a uh, a little recommendation for us. Oh, literary. Man, I haven't, honestly, I feel bad about it because I haven't read a lot at all lately. All I read is Song, the Song of Ice and Fire for this podcast. Uh, but I 
uh, at the recommendation of my dad, who's recommended it several times, as well as Brand Builder uh, on on Twitter and many others. Uh, Shia from Hunter Rushers recommends it all the time. Uh, the Expanse. I've been reading it. I'm about two thirds of the way through the first book, and I am blown away. I know I'm super late to this recommendation, but if you haven't picked up The Expanse yet, and you're at all interested in science fiction, do so. It's less fantasy and more science fiction for sure, but it's really pretty good. The only weakness I'd say is not a lot of female characters that that kind of kind of grab the needle, uh, which I'd prefer. But I assume that's coming in the future books. Uh, right now, there's only a couple POVs in the first book, but it's super satisfying and really well written. So pick it up if you haven't yet. Beautiful. Um, what are you reading? I'm reading Star Wars. I'm still reading uh, Expanded Universe Star episode, Wars novels. The episode four. <laughs> oh, oh, Expanded Universe. Okay. All right. Yes. What do you, Expanded so Universe, uh, reading the Rogue Squadron series. It's a 10-book series. Mm. I'm on book five right now and quite enjoying it. I also started watching Vikings, finally. Oh, yeah? Mm. Okay. Yes. Okay. Have either of you dabbled into Vikings? I was like one episode and I didn't get into it, but I feel like and I should like, yeah. try. You're like, you're like, I mean, it's my culture, it's my heritage. That's what I was looking at. You're like, mm, I, I, wonder, I wondered if it was like, oh, this is totally not representative of the truth. I'm ditching it or whether you just weren't yeah. interested in content. I, I weren't interesting, interested in content, but I, I mean, I watched one episode and maybe Sometimes you don't like get into it after one episode, and you just need to give it a b- bit more time. That that's that's me with the expanse, actually. <laughs> so I feel you. I feel you, my friend. Don't watch that. <laughs> Read. I got you. I got you, pal. Well, Lo, we're gonna get some recommendations from you, but a little later. Yes. So stand by on that, yes, listeners. Yes. Um, Let's go to our our Patreon update, Matt. Yeah. So by the time that this comes out, by the time that our voices are entering your ear holes. Invading. Uh, this will have already been completed. Yeah, storming your castle. Ooh. But um, we just recorded, and I, I'm guessing we had a really great time doing it. Uh, a Kalisar group hang talking about Wayne's World. Yes, <laughs> Wayne's World. Just <laughs> no stairway. Denied. Denied. Uh, I feel like it's just, it's, 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 it's brilliance is how it's just a movie that's a bunch of quotes strung together, really quotable quotes strung together. I feel like it's and, both. Uh, that's why I like it. I feel like it's both timeless and completely time encapsulated. It's both mm. somehow. And I, I don't know yeah. how to describe it otherwise. Yeah, quite nineties. Yeah. Also, I realized that uh, we did both Mean Girls as our first group hang, and now Wayne's World as a group hang, and they're both. SNL properties, and I feel a little dirty. Huh. I do. I feel a tad dirty. Okay. It's fine. That's all right. It's good to feel a little dirty. Oh, yes. Only a little dirty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, a lot of dirty could be fine, too. <laughs> anyway, if you're not a patron, if you want to check out our group coverage of Wayne's World, go subscribe to our Patreon at the... Uh, at the $3 level there, and you'll get access to that episode. 
I and every few months we do this, right? Yeah. Every few months we do this where we get together with a bunch of people and just talk about a movie. Yeah. You know, uh, Davos Fingers is all about kind of hanging out and, and we've kind of yeah. tried at least to build up this persona of hanging out in the living room, a bunch of friends just hanging out in the living room and together. Talking about books and, and really movies or whatever. That. Yeah. Right. Exactly. All right. So getting on to the episode. The introduction to A Feast of Crows is, uh, well, it's an introduction to a city we haven't seen, to people we don't know, to some history we didn't have. But at the same time, it's also a very personal tale. A young boy trying to get a girl, the life he desires, and he'll do almost anything to get it. Honestly, I'm not sure there's a lot of spoiler risk here. For the first time, this chapter is so isolated. I mean, these are characters never appearing anywhere else ever. There's not a lot of spoiler risk other than the fact that there is a chapter at the end of A Feast of Crows that comes back to Old Town and kind of ties some of these stuff together, but um, right. there'll be some spoilers around that. And maybe there'll be spoilers everywhere. Who knows? This is Davos Fingers. Get ready! <laughs> Buckle in! <laughs> Caution to the wind, then. Yeah. Uh, and you know where to find us, Kalisar. We are DavosFingers at gmail.com. Our, you can find and like us on Facebook. Our Twitter handle, where we're always hanging out and talking about Willis Tyrell and running <laughs> polls on late night pizza and all sorts of things. Um, in addition to, you know, uh, talking a song of ice and fire. Um, that, that our Twitter handle is at Davos Fingers. And then we talked about Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Davos Fingers. Now, we do have our guest, Lo. Lo, how can your adoring fans <laughs> find and interact with you? Well, I'm also on Twitter uh, at LoadLinks with underscores between the different words. Uh, and then you can find my writing on loadlinks.wordpress.com. Yeah, I'm also on a lot of different uh, forums. Like uh, if you hang out on Girls Gone Canon's Discord, you can find me there. Or the WBA Slack, you can also find me there. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, yeah. I was on, I was on your WordPress last WordPress last night, catching up on a few things that you had written before, and uh, some really good quality content on the WordPress. I love it. Some great writing, some different perspectives than people are used to reading. Probably. Right, and uh, that's I what it. I love is the different perspectives. For sure, yeah, different, different yeah. than what you will read anywhere else. Honestly, it's a very unique, unique read. So I love it. Seconded. Let's dive into this thing, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right. Um, as, as, as is our custom, we'll be starting out by, with a summary of the first part of this chapter. Again, this is the prologue to A Feast for Crows, and uh, I'll kick us off. So, in Old Town is where we are, at the Quill and Tankard, on an island in the middle of the Honeywind. And there, some of these Citadel apprentices are engaging in drink, apple-throwing, archery, and dreaming of seeing dragons. But Pate, well, Pate is dreaming of Rosie. Yes. Rosie. Tomorrow <laughs> she could be his. He could take her far away from here, away from the accusatory looks of the macers that have been so long in seeking approval. Look at the look she is giving. What she might be feeling. Forget all of that. He can take her away from all that. But only if he could obtain a single co golden coin, a dragon, 
the cost of Rosie's maidenhead. He had saved and saved, but it was barely any closer to achieving the wealth of a single dragon. <laughs> but the others are talking of actual dragons. Ever the discussions in the port these days. Still, Armin the Acolyte insists that the last dragon perished during the rule of King Aegon III. Throw the apple, insists Alaris the Sphinx, who just wants to shoot apples out of the air. Mahler does. He throws it, and Alaris splits it right through the middle over the raven. A soft chunk as the arrow pierces the apple, then falls into the raven. But Pate can only focus on one apple, the apple of his eye. Rosie, of course, waiting for him. Yes, Rosie. Her hazel eyes, her dimpled cheeks, the way her hair curled behind her ears, even her toes. Pete loved them, all of them. If he could just come up with a golden dragon, he could have Rosie and wander the countryside, setting bones and cutting hair on a fine donkey. As long as he had Rosie, it would all be okay. It was all he ever wanted. But it uh, was not all he had always wanted. <laughs> Once Pate dreamed of being a maester, of being the trusted advisor of a lord. But the other novices and his own experiences had convinced him recently that he would never attain that level of maester. Yeah, he had thought his apprenticeship to Maester Walgrave was the key to his progress. But it turned out that the old man was past it, not respected at all among the masters. Pate was changing his small clothes and not for vigilance at all. And so he sought the help of the alchemist to seek a new fate. The ravens of the yard screeched, Gold for iron! Gold for iron! He thought. <laughs> Gold for iron, exactly what he had been promised by the alchemist. Was it his guilt? The alchemist insisted that he could turn iron into gold. If he could bring him what he wanted, he could have his golden dragon. He could have Rosie. Pate had refused at first, but the alchemist told him that if he reconsidered, he'd be here to collect uh, th in three days hence. And so it goes, and so it goes. Billy Joel, nice drop, Scad. Three days hence, Pate found himself at the Quill and Tankard looking for the alchemist. He found his friends instead. I'm so glad you got that reference, Matt. I wondered what would happen. Of course. The others course. continue talking of actual dragons. Just because Westeros hasn't seen dragons doesn't mean no one has, insists Molitor. The world is bigger than any lord's castle. <laughs> <laughs> Molander and Armin continue to argue about the legitimacy of dragons, whether they're stories or the real thing. The stories are not the same, insists Armin. But only in the details, counters Molander. <laughs> but Pate does not care. All he cares about is the dragon he needs for Rosie. Where is the alchemist? He said he'd be here. Alaris requests another apple, and Molander bends and throws, split right in two. Alaris would make Maester for certain. He would forge three links in a single year, while Armin only forged one per year. Still, Armin would make Maester too. And maybe even the youngest ring. But Pate? Well, he wasn't so sure. 
That's the end of this first section. Poor Pate. Yeah, is that your take? Yeah, it's... <laughs> you do feel a bit sorry for him, even if I also don't really like him. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's both. It's both. You you can both recognize a person as terrible and also feel bad for their circumstances, right? And and I feel like that's mm-hmm. yeah. what George has meant for us to feel in this case. Does he strike you as terrible? Yes. No, he didn't at first. I'm, I'm interested. I, I've read this chapter, I think now six or seven times, and uh, the first several, he didn't strike me as terrible. He struck me as someone that I, I pitied. I thought he didn't have control over his own life. I thought he was uh, someone that we should we should pity, that we should feel bad for. But <clears throat> looking closer this time, as as I so often do with Meet the Kalasar episodes, where we're covering just one chapter at a time, and mm-hmm. and we look very much closer. Oh, man, dude seems toxic. Yeah, he's young, mm-hmm. but he's not that young. He he's. I feel like George paints him very young in this chapter. He's 18 years old. Right. He's not that mm-hmm. young. And he's uh, he's got some real issues to me with privilege and ownership that are problematic. And uh, yes, of course, he has not had a lot of advantages in life. And so we should take that into account. But sure, he's got some privilege issues to me. Yeah, I mean, I feel the whole chapter, like, from the beginning, he's so obsessed with getting Rosie, and, like, my life is gonna be amazing if I get Rosie, but we never, ever, throughout the whole chapter, get any idea of what Rosie would want. Like, (laughs) is she fine with just living here the rest of her life? Does she have dreams of going off and seeing the world, or whatever? We have no idea what she wants, uh, and she's she seems to be nice to Pete uh, while he's at the Quillen Tankard, but you know, anyone who's worked in retail or hospitality could tell you <laughs> that being nice to a customer does not mean you want to sleep with them or marry them. It's right. yes, the job the description. For your entire life with them. <laughs> Traipsing through Westeros, yeah. giving shaves. and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although it should be noted that, uh, you know, Egg did that with Dunk with less than this probably sure that's a joke that's a joke <laughs> uh yeah i i'm with you Larry. i i mean we don't we get we get a few stories be- between uh between pate and rosie in which she's um nice to him she's uh you know serving him appropriately as someone in a retail position might be. But you don't get the sense from Pate at any point that he's thinking about what she might want or what she might think. It's all, if I get the dragon, it's it's a little weird because even in our society, at least, even the sense of I get a dragon, I earn a maidenhead is pretty disgusting. But like, he's not even stopping there. He's like, I get the dragon, I get her life. I get, mm-hmm. I get to own her in some degree. He might be romanticizing it a bit, like she'll fall in love with me if we get together, and then she'll understand how great this relationship could be, and then she'll want to come. Maybe he's thinking that way, but still, it's a sense of 
ownership. If I yeah. can achieve this, I will get this. And she's not agreed to any of that. It's a fantasy. Yeah, that was actually the exact note that I wrote down here. I, I took about I, I took a note of like, it's kind of sweet that he just wants to start a life with her and all of that. But the, the problem is, is he kind of wants to own her. Yeah. yeah. And yep. and that's really scary. Yeah. And, um, you know, the way he talks about her half as sweet as Rosie. He loved her hazel eyes, the way she smiled every time she saw him. Again, that anyone who's worked in retail and hospitality low. Uh, he loved the dimples in her cheeks and how she sometimes went barefoot. But he kind of wants to own her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's that's scary. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it, it's. I think a testament to Dorta's talent that he can put all these details out there that like he knows her so well and it seems sweet. It, it would seem sweet, except George has written it away that we know it's not sweet, it's creepy. I, I, feel, I feel like everyone that reads this is like, that's not sweet, it's creepy. It can, <laughs> it can be a sweet thing to know something about the person you're pining over, but this is not that. This is creepy. Yeah, there's kind of a misunderstanding here um, on his part where... The price of her maidenhead is a golden dragon. Yet in this chapter, you can certainly feel a bit of lust, but he doesn't focus on the actual taking of the maidenhead all that often. It's not like, no. I can't wait to, you know, if I'm talking really just kind of gross <laughs> here, like I can't yeah. wait to get her in the sack, you know, I can't wait to da, 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 all these sexual exploits that he's going to have with her. He's talking about traveling the countryside with her and how he loves to rub her feet and everything. So his understanding is I get a I give a golden dragon and yeah I get her maidenhead but I also get her. Ugh. And it's like this isn't it at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? And no but 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 it I think you were painting this evil the way you you said that but like I can see it more sympathetically. Of course still well, I was trying to be sympathetic actually a little bit. Still he's he's totally violating the needs and wants of Rosie, for sure. Mm -hmm. But he's just trying to. Again, he's totally co-opting the life and dreams of another person, so that's bad. But like, he's he's actually just dreaming of a life he wants. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so that's it's it's heartbreaking a little bit. He's never going to get that. He's never going to achieve that. And yet, also, it's like, dude you're talking about someone else's life also. So it's terrible. Low, yeah. go ahead. Low. Uh, no, I mean, I we just, we don't get anything about Rosie. We don't know if she's Nothing. fine with selling off her maidenhead. Uh, maybe she is, maybe mm -hmm. she's like, oh, cool, money. Um, and maybe she's like, I, I'm fine with doing this for the rest of my life. But maybe she isn't. We just we don't get that at all. Uh, and, but Pete is like, I'm gonna rescue the maiden from this terrible life, and we'll run off together. But he, yeah, he's he is doesn't consider what she wants at all. Yeah, citizen and also maybe villain to disguise is Rosie's mom. Like, she's totally willing to sell her daughter out for a golden dragon. Seems not great. Also, though, of course. A victim of society so it's a bit of a mix yeah how common do you think 
something like this would be in Westeros, both of you? Well, we have evidence in Dunkin' Egg of, of this happening very similarly with uh, Fireball's son, uh, Glendon Ball, where, you know, basically he just was given the opportunity to do this for a very cheap price, right? And um, And then his son was just raised there without him, and it was a little bit similar, right? Kind of the same idea. Yeah. I just, I'm always frustrated when these books talk about maidenheads. Um, Bring it. Go for it. Okay, so for those who don't know, I've done a bit of work in sex ed uh, with teenagers. So I talk a bit about like virginity and virginity norms with teenagers uh, from time to time. Mm. And just to be super clear, the whole idea of maidenhead or the hymen is just BS. It doesn't exist. Um, there's no part of the vagina that you sort of break or pop whatever, whenever you have sex for the first time. Um, what you do have is sort of this ring of uh, folded mucous membrane. Um, and um, when I'm teaching, I actually usually bring a scrunchie to show this, to show these like different folds uh, and how you can stretch them if you want to. Um, and um, it, yeah, it's like you can stretch it if you want to insert something. Uh, and uh, it stretches better if you're like relaxed and wet. Um, and I actually usually compare it to if, if you have like really dry lips and you stretch your mouth a lot, then you might get like a little tear or something. Um, so yeah, if you try to stretch this mucous membrane uh, while you're tense or dry, you can get like a small tear in, and it might bleed uh, a little bit. Um, but that might as well happen like the hundredth time you have sex as well as the first time. Uh, so you you really can tell if someone has had sex if by them bleeding or not bleeding. Um, and any tear will heal as well. So you can't like examine someone's vagina and tell if they've had sex. Um, so this whole idea of like the first time being super special because you like pop someone's cherry or whatever it's just mm-hmm. it's not a thing it's just this idea to hold up um sort of sexual control over women and trying to uh yeah this whole thing like trying to take something from yeah them, right? exactly and it's also i mean you had and you no longer have it exactly because i took it exactly um and i mean i think in westeros as well as in our world it's it's often important to sort of control who a woman has sex with because you need to know who the father of the, of any eventual kid will be. Um, and uh, yeah, um, just controlling women's sexuality for virginity norms is a thing. So I just I just want to be very clear, and uh, I think what you're saying is there is basically no physical distinction of virginity and taking it or having it 
in relation to the Hymen. And nope. that's a complete myth that everyone should just let go of. Am I right? Or did I miss it? No, that's that's it. <laughs> yeah. No, so that's uh that's my frustration uh with uh Westrosi use on maidenness. <laughs> it's not a fit. Well I think I can see why. I mean I think we yeah. can just call it what it is. It's it's a frustration with either George's knowledge of how this actually works. And I, I think it's legitimate to say that a lot of people are ignorant about this. Mm-hmm. I was before you emailed us three years ago or whatever it was the first time about this when we talked about it a while ago uh or so it's either his ignorance or his desire to you know put out the ignorance about that topic right he either didn't know or he wrote what he didn't know yeah i think he knows a bit about it and just tries to make it like people in his world wouldn't know so Mm. That's fair. Yeah. That that's fair, and I think it's it's fair that the people in his world would not know that. Of course, I mean, people in our world don't know it either, and we're, you know, beyond most of them. Yeah, and how does this compare to the game that the uh, the games that that the lords play? Not not Emma in the Quill and Tankard, but uh, these these high lords selling off their daughters to seal alliances and. Um, form you know these pacts and treaties uh essentially through marrying off their daughters yeah i mean it's it's the same thing but dressed up in more like Mm -hmm. nice words and stuff yeah 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 tradition tradition it's a musical matt you wouldn't know no it's russian it's very close to sweden i bet low knows it with it on the roof I mean, it's an American musical, let's be honest, oh, but it's about Russia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. That's much closer same. to you than us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you know it. Of course you would. Probably every high school around your, around your country did it. That would be like saying that I can do like this Hawaiian dance because Hawaii is closer to... <laughs> uh, Russia's closer to Sweden than Hawaii is to here. I'm just pointing that out. Oh yeah, I know. There's a reason why we panic. (laughs) (laughs) There's a reason there's a panic here every time Russia does anything. (laughs) (laughs) We're like, oh no, oh no, oh no. Don't worry, Lo, we're panicking here too. And frankly, there's... Oh, I know. (laughs) ...what we do. Because words are made up. Anyway. Okay, so go ahead, Matt. I was going to say, a part of me wondered if Emma was really serious about doing this, or did she just say Golden Dragon knowing that no, no one, one would pay it, it you know? Um, yeah. But if so, why not say like 10 Golden Dragons Fair. instead of one, you know? I, I definitely um, think if eight came to her with a Golden Dragon, she'd be like, <laughs> no. <laughs> I definitely think I definitely think that would happen. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder. I, I I definitely think so. It's a large sum of money, right? I was looking up the the currency conversion charts and stuff too. on Wiki of Ice and Fire, and 210 silver stags equals one golden dragon. Yeah. Okay, right first now, of all, hate- fuck that, because who came up with that metric? That's terrible. That's <laughs> way worse than metric. One? 
it's worse than 12 inches to one, you know, for a foot. That's terrible. This is like bad now. Uh, if anything, I hate the Targaryens more after reading this than I ever have. <laughs> 210 to one? What the fuck are you doing on the first? Come on, man. Sorry, rant over. Pate, Go ahead, Pate, Pate You're has, making a point. My bad. Pate has nine silver stags. Oh, that's right not now. much. <laughs> he's only got 200 yeah. to go, man. <laughs> so he's got some work to do. Homeboy does. But uh, one golden dragon, you just hear the number one, and you're like, oh, it's not that big a deal. But it's quite a it's large sum huge. of money. It's, it's, it's like, for someone like Pate, it's like 30 years of work. Yeah. I'm not exaggerating. Which, class, Citadel... You're not really earning a lot of money. No. Right? Really, the only way service. It's these service. novice and acolytes earn money is they have that little um, area out in front of the citadel where they like sit in booths and people can come up to them and ask them to write letters for them and stuff like that. And I think they make a little money doing that, but yeah, it's nothing. Or if their parents send them an allowance every once in a while. I mean, Leo definitely has money. Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, he, this is he's to another point we have to make. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, what else should we talk about? We've talked about Pate a bit. I just want to reinforce that I feel like he's... He's kind of the friend you hate, in my opinion. He, he always just... You can't let go of like that one little topic, whether it's a girl or a game or whatever. Like you can't let go and just like be part of the group. He's that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. His mind is always on Rosie. He can't just let go and like, oh yeah, throw an apple. Like, nope. The apple is me and Rosie is the arrow. Like you can't just like let go, you know? I wonder how much of his, his friends see that. I feel like Alaris must. Yeah. They know, yeah, it's pointed out that they uh, they know, at least Alaris knows that he's got a thing for Rosie and he's doing the whole golden dragon thing. He mentioned it later in the chapter. Yeah. Um, but I wonder how much they see of the, like, obsession, you know? I don't know. Yeah. I wonder, too. Uh, what what else can we talk about here? Uh, the Quill and Tankard specifically is uh, probably my favorite location in the series. The old wow, I love Old Town. You guys know I'm a sucker for the high towers. I'm uh, you know, the fandom's biggest defender of the high towers. I'm gonna keep claiming until it, claiming it until someone tells me I'm not or challenges it. But uh, the Quill and Tankard specifically just sounds lovely. It just sounds like kind of the place you go. It's like oh. Just go and relax, and the river on both sides, going past this island. There's some lovely bird, well, mostly it's ravens, but there are some birds probably too, you know, making some music. It sounds lovely. I love this yeah. place. I really want to try their fearsomely strong cider, because cider is like <laughs> my go-to drink when I go out. So oh, this yeah? sounds just like my thing. <laughs> All right. All right. What kind of cider? What, what's your what's your go-to cider? What do you drink? Uh... I mean, I usually drink like Swedish 
brand cider when I go out here. Uh, okay. But some cider, some either like apple or pear cider. Apple or pear. Okay. All mm. right. That's good. Yeah. Well, Matt drinks Mountain Dew. Had apple cider. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of the same. Thing. <laughs> it's pretty similar. Yeah. Water tonight. Do you guys I'm not as young as they used to be? <laughs> I feel like I feel like paint as much as we've ragged on our work like i feel like even before these moments with the alchemist and and this rosy stuff i just kind of feel like he he has a fatalistic approach that's just Mm. damaging to him i I feel like he could he could have a i'm a pig boy contest with Jon snow (laughs) right i'm a pig boy i'm a bastard i'm a pig boy I'm a bastard. Like, he just, like, he just doesn't feel like he can win, you know? Yeah, it's, at, at some point in the chapter, he, he thinks that, like, this wouldn't be the first time luck turned sour on turned him. Turned sour. Yeah. Uh, and I just really like that's his whole approach to everything. Yeah. yeah. Which, again, just makes you sympathize with the guy. Uh, he's grown up in... It sounds like he he did not grow up in a great life. Um, He comes from the lower class, which that's got to be kind of difficult in a place like the Citadel. The Citadel is so unique in the sense that you have individuals from highborn families rubbing shoulders with individuals from the lowborn side of things, Mm -hmm. from the lower classes of Westeros. You have them together. Yeah. And um, so there's this Pate who's lived a life that seems to be one of, of poverty, um, rubbing shoulders with someone like Leo Tyrell. And that might, it might make you feel a little like you're lesser and that you, you don't have any luck and that uh, the world's out to get you. Yeah, no, I, be, I, I really think it's interesting, these like, class dynamics going mm-hmm. on in chapters and how it definitely feels like it's easier to succeed at a citadel if you're from a noble family. Yeah. Mm. I mean, we're going to talk more about Alaris later, but assuming that Alaris does have some noble parentage, uh, I think that's very clear in how they, yeah, they've got free links and Pete's got none. And it's, it reminded me of this quote that I forgot to look up, but it's in Storm when they talk about uh, uh, if they're gonna replace Pycelle or not as the Grand Maester. Uh, and the, the Citadel had sort of begun the process of choosing a new Grand Maester. And he says something like, they had considered free low-born people and being content that they had considered them, they now moved on to to noble-born people. Totally. Yep. So it's like, yeah, it's just for Check. show. We did the yeah. we did the diversity thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this is a real thing in our society too. With uh, they yeah. actually have like rules in the National Football League here in the U.S. that you have to interview minority candidates. And for a while, it was like, okay, we interviewed one. Now let's hire the guy we want. And like, it wasn't really taken seriously. Yeah. And it was just like, oh well, we fulfilled our quota of thinking about it. Our conscience is clean. You know. And I, I think that's changed over the last 10 years in the National Guard. We've done a lot better. But for a while, it very much was that. Like, we have to f- fulfill the requirement of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and uh, and in addition to all of that, you look at the opportunities that the highborn have that mm-hmm. prepare them yes. for coming to the citadel. Absolutely. You know, you look at uh, Bran came to mind for me, and the chapters where Maester, oh my gosh, his name just completely Lewin. ran from my mind. Maester Lewin, thank you. It's all good. I remember, I remember Game he's... of Thrones. I'm totally a podcaster. I get it. I know, we've only it. done this for I'm seven hip. and a half years. I'm hip. Uh, well, you're the one that did remember. I'm the one that forgot. Maester Lewin quizzing Bran on, you know, history and sigils and things like that. So these these highborn kids already have a skill set, many of them do, of knowing how to study, yeah. of knowing how to receive education and how to learn. Some of them don't take it seriously, but they've they've had that preparation. They're baseline. Whereas someone like, Sorry, like Pate's never been in a school class before. He's never been in a classroom. He doesn't have good study habits. He doesn't know how to learn. A part of me wondered if, you know, if if um, his uh, his inability to earn a link is because he can't focus, or if that's part of a more significant learning disability that comes from, you know, maybe uh, partly because of his background. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at our world, you can see that like people going to university tends to be people whose parents went to university and people mm-hmm. who get even like if you level up even more like people who get their PhD their parents tend to have a uh, university education uh, so I definitely think that's that's reflected here that like you have a you have a leg up in just how to study how your parents can help you with studying how they can help you apply to things uh, and whatever mm-hmm. and you can see that in the in the story too, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I came to mind just athletes right now. Scad's really into athletics and sports, and Am who I? are the who who are the majority of the people that uh, that make the professionals? They're the ones that you know their parents, in many cases, paid for them to go to the big camps and to have the personal trainers and all these different things. And it certainly uh, helps. I mean, I, I think there's uh, wow. Well, I mean, that's a that's a whole other bigger discussion, but for sure there are there are legacies that make it to professional leagues that had parents that were in professional leagues that have that experience mm-hmm. that pass on the knowledge, that pass on the know-how, that pass on the things that you need to know to succeed that everyone else is just trying to fight to understand, right? They don't even they don't have that base knowledge to start from, right? And so they're starting from yep. a disadvantage, and. Yeah, I mean, there's we could talk about the athletic scene in our world forever, but probably shouldn't. But uh, yeah, for sure, there's there are advantages baked in to knowing what you're doing, and in this mm-hmm. case, baked we're talk- into privilege. Yeah, we're talking about nobles that, I mean, yeah, they they a they know how to learn, they know how to think. I'm talking about this with my kids all the time. You know. Mary, you're not smarter than Pippin. You've just got two years of experience on him. Well, the noble kids start with five years of experience learning over everyone else. Everyone else has zero. You start with five or six years before anyone else even engages you in learning, right? It's a huge advantage. And tack on the fact that, frankly, just like politics in our world, probably the matrons are totally susceptible to bribes and to yeah. people willing to say, hey, take my kid over here. He's got talent. 
you know, show them the ropes and give them privilege, of course they will. Because they're giving you donations, just like they do in this world. G give my kid an internship. Okay, what are you going to donate to my campaign? Same thing. Yeah. Did I just rant? I feel like I just ranted <laughs> really long. No, but I agree, so it's... <laughs> it's fine not a rant if we all agree mm, okay i'm gonna rant uh, later and no one will agree <laughs> but this time it happened um do we need to discuss the uh alaris uh theory of who alaris is or is that just well enough known in the fandom i feel like we all know it i feel like we don't need to probably spend time on proving it or anything like that we can talk about Alaris in general, though. I mean, there's a lot of there's some interesting things that happen. You could save it too and just talk about Alaris in the in the later section. But um, there's there's It'd some things to Alaris that are interesting compared to the rest of the characters. I'll say yes. that as a teaser. Yeah, yeah. There's probably it's probably better in the later section. Okay, okay. let's let's hold on to let's do it. teaser, Kalasar. Alaris discussion coming. Coming. All right. Well, let's move on then to get to know Lel a little bit better. Yes, please. This is, if anyone doesn't know, Matt's pretty, uh, pretty obvious about it. But this is his favorite part of these episodes for sure. Where we get to know our friends. Yep. And let our friends get to know our friends. And then we're all we're all just friends. <laughs> we're better friends for it. <laughs> So Lo, tell us this is this is the tough question. Who are you? Mm. What do you do? What drives you? Um, encapsulate that all <laughs> into one answer. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm Lo. Uh, I'm from Sweden. Um, I didn't mention this at the top. I had planned on doing that, but uh, my pronouns are they them. Um, and uh, currently, I work for a government agency. It's nothing. Uh, exciting, but it's all right. Mm. Uh, it's mm -hmm. money. I, no, I, I do not do the cool like shooting people things. No, <laughs> you're not a spy. I'm not a spy. No. I approve. Double I approve. You're not double o low. I know that would be fun though. Uh, double o low. No, I just like approve applications for financial aid. <laughs> And read, read like, oh no, you you cannot have any money. No, sorry. Oh, you can have a, a little bit of money. I don't mean to pressure Ooh, you, okay. but I feel like you should just give money to like everyone. Um, she'd probably love to, or they'd probably love to. I would, but I feel like people would get mad at me then. So, um, <laughs> they really have would. so much money here. Don't that. Please, please do not I, take the advice of Dallas Fingers. It's not I will just say, I will just say, Skad, that. A spy would not admit on the air that they are a spy. So that's true. That's continue. True. Unless they thought that 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 if by admitting no. we would never mm, believe yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Keep, yeah, yeah. Keep going, low. <laughs> Who are you? What makes you you? Do it. Uh, so even if I do this as a day job, I don't think that defines me. Um, I Certainly. I do a lot of other stuff on the side, uh, mainly in co collaboration with this non-profit organization that works with uh, sexual and reproductive health and rights. That's uh, wow. why I've been doing sex ed previously. Um, so I'm really yeah, passionate about that sort of thing. Um, 
I also have a bachelor's degree in sociology and a master's degree in gender studies. Um, so yeah, equality, justice work is my thing. Um, and I think that that probably explains if you come across anything I've read, I wrote, wrote written online, um, I feel like that explains it. Um, I tend to write a lot about like gender, sexuality, race, disability, class, in the intersection of, of all of those. Uh, so yeah, I think my background probably sheds some light, some light on uh, what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Well, I think from my perspective, what Lo has just shown everyone listening is that uh, just like the last 16 guests we've had, she per- surpasses us uh, in quality. So let's let's continue on. Uh, besides the Song of Ice and Fire, do you belong to any other fandoms? Do you contribute heartily to them as as I know you do with this one? Um, yeah, his dark materials definitely. Uh, his stars mm, materials mm-hmm. <laughs> yes so exactly poison, poisoned locusts is what you're talking about yes indeed indeed um no but i've written quite a lot about that uh it was actually girls gone canon who really got me into it uh oh. and got me into writing about it as well uh, mainly because i was being as insufferable as as usual and emailing them and being like actually <laughs> <laughs> actually um <laughs> because yeah, parts part of those stories uh, take place in the north, aka Scandinavia, basically. And I was like, mm. "Hey, I have some history facts to throw at you," uh, yep. and then that ended up with me uh, writing a lot about the story uh, in general. Um, also, like if you asked me four years ago, so I would say that I'm part of the Harry Potter fandom. I have mm-hmm. a very complicated. Mm-hmm relationship to those books at the moment uh, yeah. but i have written a bit about them and uh, that's also on my blog um i think that's which, the one which is which is remind us again give it every time Lo- you can give it give it <laughs> loadalinks.wordpress.com there we go so yeah i think that's the main ones i i sort of hang out on the margins of a few more fandoms like doctor who the mcu um and things like that, but I think the yeah the main one other one at the moment is these dark materials. All right, so we're gonna give you a chance here to just go all in on one of your topics, which is probably my favorite one you've written. I've read, I think most of your stuff. I refreshed again on Brienne last night. Um, mm-hmm. I just want you to give give the general pitch on your Brienne work. Tell us more. Give me Kalasar the elevator pitch for your Brienne work. Okay. But it can be like a it could be like an elevator that's <laughs> in a pretty big building. A like, big yeah, a long <laughs> elevator. Yeah. Like we got time. We're not we're not trying to cut you off. You know? This isn't just five floors. We can we can go up. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean yeah, I've written a lot about Brienne. I think uh, I think I've written like four essays by now. Uh, mm. and currently I'm also doing uh, weekly threads uh, in when because girls gone canon are doing Brienne episodes, so I've been doing friends on Twitter about that. Uh, but okay, elevator pitch. Um, so I really started exploring Brienne in relation uh, to gender, uh, because I sort of realized that the harassment and violence that Brienne faces 
isn't just like the same thing that any woman in Westeros faces. Um, mm. It's specifically because she's gender non-conforming that she faces this type of violence and harassment. Uh, and I also realized that it's very the harassment and such is very similar to the transphobia that trans and non-binary people would face both in medieval times and in our times. So I started exploring how both other people see her and how she sees herself from that perspective, uh, thinking of her as a gender non-conforming person or maybe even a trans person. Uh, because even if it's not often brought up, people in the Middle Ages uh, were definitely trans or non gender non-conforming that existed. It's just that they didn't have the same language for it as we do today. Uh, so that's that's why I wanted to explore that, because it's not something brought up a lot. And also because I really relate uh, to Brienne on that basis. Um, so yeah, that's the elevator pitch, I guess. What inspires you about Brienne? Um, how, how do you feel like you relate to her? I'm interested to hear more. Uh, I think a lot of the things... <laughs> when she think, thinks about how other people see her uh, is something mm. I really relate to. Um, there's the, the wonderful speech that she gives uh, when she's at the Quiet Isle, when she talks about how um, the gods uh, took all her father's children. Uh, mm-hmm. He doesn't have any sons, he doesn't have any daughters, and he deserves that. But the gods only let her let him keep her the freakish one not fit to be son or daughter mm. and that just hits hard uh when you're gender queer like i am and like oh i wish i could be the thing peop- people wish me to be but i'm just not and i know people see me as freakish or abnormal because of it uh mm. and that just it just hates hard. That whole, I'm not enough son. I'm not enough daughter. I'm not, I'm not enough knight. I'm not enough lady. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, and just that, that whole, people seeing her as a freak for not conforming to gender norms is both something I can relate to and something that I think is interesting to write about. Man, that that hits. I couldn't I couldn't say it any better than you just did, but I feel like uh, a lot of people might relate to not feeling like they're enough. A lot of people might think that they're not doing enough, they're not achieving enough, they're not uh, good enough at something. But what you're talking about is a question of identity. I am not enough. Not I'm not doing enough. Not I'm not good enough at a specific thing, but I am not enough as what as I am being. as what I am yeah. yeah as my identity how how I feel about myself is not enough and that's that's heartbreaking and I hate to think that Brienne feels that way I hate to think that that you feel that way I hate that you feel that way anyone would feel that way. <sighs> I don't have anything profound to say beyond that, <laughs> other than I, you know, I, I. I hope no one. I hope no one feels that way. I hope 
can find a way to understand their own value and I imagine that's sounds so condescending even hearing myself say it but we're, we all have value and I hope we can all find it well one thing I, I love about you Lo is I imagine that it's difficult sometimes but you are always uniquely you you are always you yeah unabashedly unashamedly at least the the, the side of it that we see is um, unapologetically you. And I think that's inspirational. As for everyone should be. And as I hope right. that other people can see you be and be that themselves. Exactly. I, I think it's inspirational. It's been inspirational to me. Um, I, I struggle with, with feelings of, of not being enough, as many people do. Um, it's not always wrapped up in, in identity. Uh, it might be in other areas. Roles of my life and my being, but, um, but, but just, just seeing you be unapologetically you is, is an inspiration. So Agreed. thank you. Yeah. Even when it's hard, I bet. Yeah, it can be hard, but I, I appreciate people saying that. Um, I had someone tell me a while ago that me being so openly me in the fandom made, made it easier mm -hmm. for them to be open about their, gender and that just made me want to like cry <laughs> out of happiness um, and i hope shout out from the rooftops i mean yeah let everyone hear that it's that's great I'm, gl I'm glad that that happened for that person and for you yeah it's validation for you and it's reassuring for them it's wonderful well another wonderful thing <laughs> is uh you are part of a brigade that I am not a part of, nor is Scaticus. Wow, um, look at that transition. Well done, Matt. The, yeah, you are part of the Kalisar's Pet Brigade. Indeed. Tell us about uh, uh, your feline friend slash family member. Uh, well, yeah, I have a cat. Uh, her name is Tutiki. Um, she's about four years old. I got her when she... Uh, I got her uh, three years ago. And I, I got her from this shelter, and um, they told me that they had found her at a farm with about a hundred other cats. Oh. So she oh. was not comfortable with human beings at first. She was very scared. Um, and um, I didn't get to pet her for six months. Um, so if you follow me on Twitter now, you can see that there has been a development in that area. <laughs> um, what an understatement. Uh, yeah, she she's still skeptical of other people. She's let like two or three other people pet her besides me. Uh, but she's very, she's very cuddly with me uh, right now. Uh, so yeah. What was that process like? long it's long <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and just like doing it at her pace uh, mm. she was when I got her she was very playful so I got to play with her a lot uh, but she didn't want me to touch her uh, really but I just did it one step at a time and mm. eventually I think the pandemic helped too because I was just home a lot uh, mm. uh, eventually mm. and she got used to me um, and now I'll I work from home, so I'll sit at the desk, and suddenly there'll be someone meowing <laughs> behind me, <laughs> like, "Hey, it's time for a break." 
Um, so yeah. The great thing about the pandemic is that everyone understands that. Yeah. They're like, yeah, take your break. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I should probably explain her name too because I I, I sometimes get questions. I yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely didn't catch it. Okay, so it's Tultiki. Tultiki. Yeah, and it's uh, it's from the Moomin books by to- Tove Jansson, uh, which I think some people might recognize. Um, the books are Finnish uh, originally. Um, they're finished? They're Finnish. Oh, Finnish. Yeah. From Finland. Um, uh, yeah, but they were books I grew up reading, um, and um, I still love them. They're great. Um and there's a character in the books called Tultiki, uh, and that character was actually inspired by uh, the author's partner, uh, oh. which is pretty cool. Uh, they couldn't be open about being partners because uh, at the time, because it was like the 50s, but mm. um, yeah, it's something that's been uh, put more into light uh, in recent years. So, uh, yeah, the partner's name was Tuliki Pitele. So, Tuliki, Tutiki. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I used, I chose the name both to sort of honor childhood nostalgia and uh, queer <laughs> history, uh, basically. Ah, oh, so cool. It's very me, uh, basically. <laughs> it is so you. It is so you. You said the, these are Finnish books. Do you speak Finnish? No. Or- reading translation um so uh the author is from finland but she wrote them in swedish um oh okay because um yeah parts of finland speak swedish because it used to be part of sweden um gotcha my dad actually speaks finnish because he's from the northern part of sweden that connects with finland so they speak finnish Mm -hmm. uh but he didn't teach me which i'm forever bitter about um but yeah he it was a whole like he grew up in the 50s and 60s and back then you weren't allowed to speak anything else than except swedish in schools because you know uh, nationalism and stuff um so you know all about that yeah so he's kind of lost the language as well uh, which sucks too bad it is too bad um so interesting. Well, you've talked a lot about things that you are proud of um, and that we're proud of you for. <laughs> yeah. But, I, feel uh, like, I feel like this question is like totally already been answered several times. So let's ask yeah. it again. Yeah. In case there's something else that we'd love to hear is what is something that you're proud of about you, about your life, about your achievements, anything? Uh, finishing my master's thesis and getting my degree during this mm. god awful pandemic. <laughs> what? Uh, have we been in the pandemic? Yeah, sorry. You might, might not have heard. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Uh, yeah, I finished it uh, this spring or like this spring semester. Um, right. Which wasn't easy, but I did it and I'm very proud of that. Good for you. I remember you talking about it on Twitter. And I remember you talking about your thesis, but I don't exactly remember what it was. Can you tell us? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, so it's in gender studies, so it's very, like, uh, yeah, it's um, it's the kind of thing I'm very interested in. Um, and uh, I actually wrote down the title in case you were going to ask. Um, so <laughs> because I do not remember it off the top of my head. It must um, be really long. I'm so excited. Yeah. I'm going with 20, 27 syllables. Title. Over under, Matt. 27 syllables. Over. Yeah. Okay, you can count then. Okay, so the title is okay. It's like someone makes your entire existence invalid. A study of non-binary people's experiences of embodiment and negotiating institutional lines. It's way over. It's way over. Wow. Matt wins. Wow, that was over 27 words, not the <laughs> syllables. I feel bad, though, because I was counting and not listening to the words. Yeah, no, but it's, it's an interview study uh, with Swedish non-binary people uh, where it talked mm. about both like embodiment how you feel and conceptualize your body but also about sort of uh, navigating society uh, and mm. what it's like to wow. move out move move throughout the world uh, when the world doesn't really acknowledge your existence um, mm. and I yeah also brought some intersectional perspectives in there talking about disability and class and sexuality so wow it was kind of heavy to write um yeah i have so many questions yes but i i just <laughs> I, I just i don't know that we have time to answer them all but just how like did they feel more comfortable traveling the no. world no more accepted in sweden i mean i didn't really compare or... to other countries yeah uh, but there was a lot of being uncomfortable in public spaces yeah uh, i remember mm -hmm. one of my uh, one of my informants talked about how they like when they're on public transport they always try to seem very either female or male yeah. uh, and not in between because they're scared yeah. of being harassed conform right yeah <sighs> so a lot of that and a lot of just like okay i'm at a public space there are two bathrooms uh, which one do I pick? Which one? I feel uncomfortable in both, and I might. There's a higher chance of me being harassed in one of them. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that's. It's not about. Yeah, it's like which one do I face the least potential for harassment? Yeah. The, this that's question awful. will be perhaps ignorant, uh, and I'm willing to be ignorant. I do that regularly on this podcast. How we, we learn, buddy. Uh, what would non-binary people like to have as an option in that case? A gender-neutral bathroom. Just just one, or like, I guess you just have three. I just, I mean, opinions may vary, but I'd say just having one. I mean, one for everyone. Yeah, one for everyone. Uh, I there's like usually not an issue with that. I mean, I remember when mm -hmm. I went to school, we didn't have any split bathrooms it was just yeah. one everyone could use anyone so yeah i feel i feel so ignorant about these kinds of issues to be honest but uh i'm happy to learn and that that honestly that's a concept i really i would have never thought just one for everybody just just have restrooms everybody yeah. together <laughs> it seems so simple to be honest when you when you're like oh yeah of course it seems so simple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, next, SCAD. Yeah, it's me. 
Well, no, I was going to let you ask the next question. <laughs> that, that just requires that I get out of my own headspace about not understanding <laughs> how the world works, you know, to, to ask the next question. So let's do it. Uh, you've, uh, you've talked about several things, uh, but let's throw out a recommendation for a book or a band or a song or a movie, a TV show, something that you think maybe the people listening here haven't done, haven't seen or watched or experienced yet. You got one for us? Yes. Uh, so lately I've been obsessed uh, with uh, Druck, which, and I'm sorry if Yogi is listening to this uh, because this is German, I'm, I'm butchering it. Uh, but it's, <laughs> um, it's a German remake of a Norwegian teen web series, uh, which... Whoa. Yeah, I know. I know at least two people in the fandom has watched the Norwegian one. Uh, no, three, three people at least in the fandom. Um, okay. And the Norwegian okay. one uh, was called Scum, uh, which translates to shame. Um, and it it aired from twenty fifteen to twenty seventeen, and I was obsessed with it. I watched it religiously, um, and yeah, I've been just as obsessed with the German remake. Um, it's it's really cool because the sort of concept of the show is that if something happens at like 2pm, the characters are having coffee at 2pm on a free Tuesday, mm -hmm. then you get a clip posted on the website at that time. Uh, and then they sort of collect oh. all the clips at the end of the week into one episode. And you also get like chats like if they're texting about oh we're gonna meet up at this cafe later then you get a screenshot of that text conversation and like so it's like multimedia experience where yeah. it's interactive not just you're watching something but also you're getting photos or texts or information about where yeah. they're at or things like that like in real time yeah cool. and they have like instagram uh profiles as well so they're they will post like the characters will post mm -hmm. um pictures or whatever or like instagram stories when they're at a party that's fascinating that's cool wow. so it, you that's get cool. really pulled into it uh and right. it's it's amazing and there's a lot of good representation too when it comes to like people of color and lgbtq oh, uh, representation so it's it's amazing um so if anyone's interested just hit me a message on twitter and i'll get you some links Give, give us, give say, us the name one more time. Yeah. Druck. D-R-U-K-C-K. D-R-U-C-K. And yeah. it's German on Netflix? It's, uh, no, it's, it's on YouTube, but you have oh, to YouTube. be in Germany to watch it, technically. Okay. Technically. You're going to hook us up, though, is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. But the thing that's cool, like because the Norwegian version really took up off on like Tumblr in twenty sixteen, I think, mm. uh, and mm. it was like just in Norwegian there weren't any translations. So fans started doing Norwegian fans starting doing translations into English for international oh, no fans, and then cool. uh -huh. uh, there's been I think seven remakes, and that's just continued. So it's like German to English, Spanish to English, French to English, and just fans doing it on like Tumblr. That's it's, cool. Oh, I love that. It's really cool. That's cool. That's cool. Mobilization of fans, just yeah. making it happen for others. That's so cool. Workers of the world unite! Yes. <laughs> yeah, I said it. 
Well, let's get uh, let's get back into a song of ice and fire. Why did you choose this chapter, the prologue to feast? Uh, well, for several reasons. Um, one is that I was talking to some other fans, uh, some friends, uh, along uh, a while back, and uh, we were sort of ranking the different prologues, and a lot of people mm-hmm. put this near the bottom, and I was like, oh. no, no, that is not correct. <laughs> Uh, I mean, as Jeff of Not a Cast would say, you're entitled to to your bad opinions, uh, but um, yeah, but he yeah. sucks. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, teach their own. But I, uh, I love this prologue. I would put this on the top of my ranking. Um, and there, there's just so many things going on in the chapter that I love. There's the further introduction of magic and like glass candles and dragons and sphinxes mm. and whatnot. Um, and there's uh, identity mysteries. There's uh, these explorations of power structures. I just, I just love it. It's amazing. Man, I feel like all the all the prologues are pretty good. Yeah, what's I mean, it's storm? difficult what's to. What's the storm? What's the storm prologue? What is that? Chet. I can't. I can't. That's Chet. Yeah. Oh, Chet sucks. God, yeah. Chet sucks. But it's a good prologue, though. It's a still. good prologue. Yeah. I love this prologue. Yeah, it's this a good... I mean, they're all good. I, I feel like... I mean, I feel like he accomplishes something in all of them he that he's aiming at. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. they're all good. But this this one's wonderful. They're all good. It, it's a little weird. I mean, it's it's a world apart from what we're used to talking about. We'll get into some of that, I think. But it's a world apart from what... We're, what we were used to talking about new characters no one we know a city we have no concept of and it's a little weird but it's also super effective at telling us a different angle yeah that's what i love about it i think i just answered your question from my perspective <laughs> my bad and it also ties the story together too it ties into this like what's the first word of that whole prologue dragons right yeah. or something like that yeah <laughs> what do dragons so have to do with the story nothing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well let's dive Anyways, into it do we go into summary let's do it yeah let's, let's go summarize part two here oh god Whoa. i hope it's good yes okay heard that before okay our point of view Pate himself has been a novice for five years and never yet earned a link. He tried on two occasions, uh, but he always found a maester in his way, unwilling to let him pass through. Yeah, but as Pate's friends uh, continued to distract him with discussion of real dragons, and as Alaris drew his final shaft and missed, he dove into explaining what he knew. A short explanation, really. The dragon has three heads, Alaris drawled. Armin counters that no dragon has ever had three heads, except on shields and banners, and also insisting that all the Targaryens are dead now anyway. Uh, But Alaris asserts that they're not all gone. Yeah, he's speaking, of course, of Rhaegar's sister, born on Dragonstone before its fall. Recognition hits Molander, who cries out for another round to toast their rightful Queen Daenerys. I always knew you were a traitor, Lazy Leo calls out as he enters the Quill and Tangard. 
He sits down at the friend's table, although he's unwelcome, and asks them to buy him a drink. Leo says he will gladly drink Teller's new copper link, but does so while insulting basically everyone at the table in a matter of seconds. <laughs> Uh, questioning Alaris's parentage and accusing Pete of never beating. Yeah, and as Pete seethes at the accusation, we uh, we get some background on the meaning of his name. It belongs to a series of stories told about a common and stupid but good-hearted boy who always somehow comes out on top despite himself. He always ends up a lord or winning the hand of a maiden, though he usually trips into it. But... At the end of the tale, it's noted that in the real world, pig boys never fared so well. Pate has always felt somewhat burdened by his name. Alaris breaks his days by asking for an apology from Leo. That request is, you know, ignored by Leo. Leo does wane on the topic at hand, though. Daenerys is alive and has hatched three dragons. It's the same in news in every port and Marwyn the mage is inclined to believe them. Wait, Marwyn the who? Uh, the mage. Matt, the mage. An archmaester of the Citadel, whom the other maesters think of as a bit crazy. He consorts with diverse company, has weird ideas, and may sacrifice to strange gods. He's also spent much time mapping lands, searching for books, and studying with warlocks and wizards in the east. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Stuff cool. Armin insists that Marvin has no proof of dragons, just more stories. But Leo counters that he does via glass candle. It seems that the glass candle might have a couple purposes. One practical for up-and-coming maesters, and the other mystical. Yeah, as for the practical, the candles are used in a training exercise on the night an acolyte says his vows. Uh, they must stay in a completely dark room with only the glass candle to provide light. If they can light it, but they can't light these candles, they won't light. The trial is meant to teach these young new maesters a lesson that even with knowledge, some things are just not possible. Mm, not possible, or maybe that's the mystical component. Mm? Leo scoffs that they cannot be lit. He has seen it burn himself. The night was queer and bright, much brighter than any beeswax or tallow candle. It cast strange shadows, and the flame never flickered, not even when I when the draft blew through the open door behind me. Leo ends his pitch by claiming that dragons and darker things are back in the world again, that the maesters are blind to it, but uh, Leo insists that our age of wonder and terror will soon be upon them. An age for gods and heroes. The others make a show of rolling their eyes as they stand up to head home. But Leo can't help but get in one more dig, musing to himself loudly if he ought to stick around and make a woman out of Rosie. Pate is again fuming. But Alaris assures him that Leo is just antagonizing him, just as my kids antagonize each other all the time. They try to convince Pate to come to bed as well. But Pate is still holding out hope for the alchemist. And he stays behind. As his friends drift through the fog and winds of Old Town on their way back to the Citadel, Pate hears Armand Acolyte give one final warning. 
Careful, the night is damp and the cobbles will be slippery. All right. Well, this is an interesting section here. Um, we got a lot about dragons. We got about we got a new lazy Leo character. Where would you guys like to start? Uh, just acknowledging that Leo sucks so much. Oh my gosh, he's terrible. <laughs> he's uh, he's the worst of us. He's terrible. I feel like he's actually gonna... probably a pretty good representation of maesters that actually make it because like you know he's gonna make it he sucks and he's terrible but like his dad's gonna pay enough and he's gonna like do just enough to make it through and then he's gonna give really bad advice to some nobles kids and teach them to be terrible yeah that's how we're here this is how we're here this is the whole story lazy leo is the whole story c's get degrees man yeah <laughs> fucking bush man yeah i say it yeah, he's also like so gross when he talks about Rosie and like oh, making yeah. a woman out of her. And I'm like, dude, no, she's yeah. not like an object. And also, the whole making a woman out of someone is again just putting unnecessary emphasis on the first time you have sex. And ugh, ugh, ugh. yeah, no, totally. Yeah, it's re it's repugnant. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely terrible. In fairness to him, and I don't really actually mean this to save his character in any Whoa. way. Okay, all right. No, I don't think he actually... It might make it worse. I don't think he actually cares about what he's saying. He's no. only trying to incite the other people. Yeah. Sure. But still, it's terrible. I, I, I'm not even sure he believes anything that he's saying. He's just a terrible human being and trying to anger people. Yeah. But yes, the, the themes that he's eliciting are awful and terrible and repugnant yeah. i almost feel like there's a whole study that could be done just on just leo, on leo. i mean like on one hand the fact that he's coming up and talking to them and stuff says something to me it says that he's dying for friendship yeah. like he really wants friends he wants i think a part of him wants to be a part of this group that's hanging out like he wants to hang out with alaris and armin and and even Pate the pig boy. And I don't know where the disconnect happens, where he has to be misogynistic and discriminatory and racist. Uh, yeah. I mean, very racist. And all of these things. I don't know where it happens. He's this terrible human being. Um, yeah. He's like a, a Jeremy Jam in Parks and Rec. I don't know if you watch Parks and Rec, no, low. <laughs> Scott and I do, where he's just awful to Leslie Nope, one of the other characters, and then it comes out later that he considers Leslie his best friend, right? Um, Jeremy Jam but, uh, Jeremy Jam is terrible. Leo is way, way worse. He's kind of, yeah, yeah. Jeremy Jam's terrible in kind of a sweet way. This guy's just worse. Like, he and Joffrey would get along wonderfully. No, they wouldn't. Um, They'd kill each other. They're similar, but they wouldn't get along. They wouldn't get along with anyone. People like this don't get along with anyone. And I, I, I get where you're coming from, Matt, that he's looking for friendship. But these are people that are, I hate to say it because it's sad, but there are people in society that are so disconnected that they won't have friends. Right. He, I'm I, not, he's, to be clear, I'm not saying that in any way to defend like, him. I know. Any sort of sympathy I know. for him. I know. He's awful. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. I'm not trying to say you are. Okay, I just, good. he's, 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 <laughs> I, I get what you're saying, though. Like, it does, you get the impression that he's trying to, like, 
look for companionship. But this, at the same time, he's not actually looking for companionship. He's looking for a drink. He's he's looking. He's still as much as he's looking for companionship. He's looking to take something from these yeah. people. Mm-hmm. He's looking to get something from these people. These people that have far less than he has, as as evidenced by the whole discussion about what they both what they all had for dinner. He he has some wonderful dinner, and they have they share uh you mutton. know a leg of mutton or whatever. He, it, it, I think that's meant to be an example. He is far above them in what he has, and so he's asking them for things. It's a symbol. It's meant to tell us exactly what this dude is about. Right? He's terrible. He's asking for things from people who have way less than him. That's that's all you need to know about the guy. He's not even really asking for it, too. He's just kind of like, hey, I'll drink to that. <laughs> yeah, like, so, yeah, like passive-aggressively. Where's my drink? Yeah. Because I'm going to drink to that. It's weird. My glass is still empty. Strange. <laughs> Inches it over to them. I mean, I think you hit it on the head, low. Leo sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like, you mentioned the racist stuff, and I think that's just... Oh, God. It, it's just so, like, casually throws it in there. Like, oh, your mom's a monkey because she's black, and... Your dad is from this like exotic space place, so he's like sexually deviant or whatever. It's yeah the oldest trick in the book. Like people who are racially other than us are weird when it comes to sex. It's how we and, feel better than them. That's true. And yet, I don't. I, and I don't know what this says about him. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. But and yet, he treats the person who he's totally racist against above the people that he's classist against. Yeah. Right? Like, still, Alaris is way better than these other swine. Yeah, because at least he's, at least a, he's, he's a lord's son, apparently. Or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, not, as Alaris says, not entirely true, but... <laughs> not a lord's son. Or not... I mean, he's a... Yeah. They're a yeah. prince's child. I would yeah. say. Uh-huh. There you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I well, I think we've is, nailed is, Leo. He sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And is is that a nice segue into <laughs> Welcome to Alaris my Welcome to my lecture. <laughs> yeah. Um I mean I've I've really like a whole essay about this. Um but yeah, sort of sort of just to summarize um, I mean I think we all agree that Alaris is Sorella Sand, child of Oberyn mm-hmm. uh, there's lots yeah. of hints uh, both in this chapter and in other tra- chapters um, and uh, one thing in this chapter that I really find interesting is the quote a sphinx is a bit of this, a bit of that a human face, the body of a lion, the wings of a hawk. Alaris was the same. His father was a Dornish man. His mom, a black-skinned summer islander. And I think that both applies to Alaris' uh, ethnicity, but also gender. So, like, Alaris is a bit of this, a bit of that. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, here in the story, we have a character who was assigned female at birth, who is living and passing as a man. Um, 
And I think there's a lot of different ways that you could interpret that. Um, and I mean, one interpretation of what Alaris is up to uh, is that Alaris just wants to be led into this all-male institution of the Citadel. Uh, but as I've argued elsewhere, I don't think that's the only possible interpretation of the situation. I mean, give us Ooh. the other one. <laughs> Go there. Yeah. Okay. So um, if we just look at our own history in our world, uh, there's lots of examples of people who were assigned female at birth, but who passed as men in all male or male dominated spaces. Uh, like we have medieval monks or we have soldiers in armies or in American history, cowboys in the American West during the 19th century. Definitely. And um, for a long time, scholars sort of interpreted these people as just being women who wanted access to male spaces. Uh, but in recent decades, researchers have started arguing that you can read some of these people as gender nonconforming or trans. Uh, even if they didn't have the vocabulary to, they didn't have the same vocabulary at that time. Um, so, sort of based on that, I started thinking about Alaris as someone who we shouldn't assume that they just want to get into the Citadel. We should we should consider that maybe they do identify as another gender than they were assigned to birth as well. It can be both, basically. I love that. Absolutely. I, I also yeah. think that it can be both and also Alaris Sorella might have other goals at the Citadel that yeah. have nothing to do with their gender at all. It's just their gender is their gender, but they have a mission to do something else and they're fitting in. And yeah. actually it's kind of convenient that they're, you know, that they feel this way if, you know, compared to someone else that might try to fit in, but they're trying to accomplish something there um, and also struggling with this this gender uh, situation at the Citadel as well. Yeah, definitely. It can be a lot of things at once. Uh, I just... Yeah, and, and, what, and what you're saying, Lo, is don't just pigeonhole yourself into one mode of thinking that it's just this. Yeah. But consider the possibility. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think I mentioned that before when we were talking about Brienne, but for a lot for a long time people have just assumed that during the Middle Ages everyone was straight and cis and nothing else was going on. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. and that's yeah. sometimes used today in rhetoric when people are like, Oh, being trans is just some new trend that all the young kids are doing. Uh when it's like right. Yeah, but look at this like Iron Age grave yeah. of non gender non-conforming people or look at this like m monk who lived during the like at like year 300 who was gender non-conforming mm -hmm. it's like it's not here i promise it's not that different than a lot of other things i mean like exposure is a huge part of learning the truth right i mean with with lots of other things I mean, we, we've seen it over the last several years for sure, with even with you know racial discrimination here in, in our country, with 
it's always happened. It's just a matter of whether you find it or not. Yeah. Right? The same thing. The, these these gender non-conforming people, they always existed. It's just their stories weren't told or they were hidden or obfuscated and it's just a matter of finding them. Yeah, and like one thing that I usually point to, to with this is like one of the first modern scholars who talked about trans people, uh, his name was Magnus Hirschfeld, he was German. He wrote about this stuff and like medieval monks who were assigned female at birth but lived as men. He wrote about that in, ni- in 1910. Mm-hmm. And then wow. he did a lot of research about sexuality and gender and history. And then because he was German and he lived in Berlin and he wrote about Mm. these kind of things, all his research was burned down in 1943 by the Nazis. Oh, no, not all of it, because you found it, right, (laughs) Lloyd? Yeah, I mean, there's like, there still exists, but it's almost like this library of Alexandria moment. Like, we knew about this stuff and then we forgot about it again. That just that just kills me a little yeah, inside. The expunging so, of knowledge. Yeah, that's just sort of why I want to highlight just kills it. Me. It's, it's, I'm glad you did. Thank you for doing it. And I also think I think it's also important to consider when it comes to Laris because we already see Leo being racist and sucking. Um, but I mean, just imagine if Leo or someone else would also find out about Laris assigned sex. Oh. Uh, I mean, we have the story of Brave Danny Flint for a reason, I think. It's a cautionary tale. Mm. Um, what happens when you get into a space that's not meant for you uh, and when you break those gender norms. Um, and that makes me oh, wow, very concerned. Yeah. Um, like, we're the day we're recording this, at least in my time zone, is the Transgender Day of Remembrance. Okay. Uh, which is a day to uh, acknowledge the deaths of uh, trans and uh, gender non-conforming people in the world uh, that has happened in the past year. And we know that the majority of trans and gender non-conforming people who are killed are people of color. So just Mm. thinking about Alaris, who is black and who is gender non-conforming and what might happen if someone found out about them. It makes me worried. It's interesting. That is such a good point. It's interesting too, though, that um, you know their color is not a secret. Yeah. The Citadel doesn't seem to care about that, but the gender non-conforming part would they? Maybe. Alaris Sorella has succeeded at the Citadel for sure. Like they have obtained uh three links in a year i think it yeah. is um better better than armin who we hear and i think better than leo too um for all records that we have they're doing really well uh so it's not a racism thing but i wonder if you're right if the gender thing would break would break that i think it would yeah probably i mean they they don't allow for female maesters right probably probably Correct. would yeah, and just and and and, gen- and gender and gender confusion for sure would probably just send them for a, send, it should be a tailspin for them probably. Yeah, 
definitely. If that were where it was. Yeah. And to your point, Leo is. Uh, well, I guess the only other instance we get of this is is Samwell Five, the chapter that Scad referenced earlier, which is the when Sam arrives at Old Town and interacts with a little bit with Leo, more with Sorella and Marwin. But um, it seems like Leo is in the atmosphere of Alaris. Yeah. <laughs> like he's like just around, like he's hanging out outside of Marwin's office. Yeah where Alaris is and I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never considered what would happen if he or others uh, discovered Alaris's who Alaris was, um, but, and how he would react. But it is very interesting because Alaris, I think as you'll read this chapter, Alaris is very much the star of the show. Yeah. Everyone sees the quality of Alaris. Everyone, even, even Leo kind of gravitates to Alaris, even though he's of higher birth and he suspects Alaris being of higher birth and they are but the reality is Alaris is the star here they're the one winning all the accolades and we do see that in the in the future sam chapter the Alaris is, seems like kind of the one more attached to marwin more kind of pulling the strings marwin trusts Alaris to marwin go get trusts sam her. yeah right and and not and not Leo. Leo's outside the room. They bring Sam and Alaris mm-hmm. into the room, and even Pate is in the room. I don't and know. Pate's if, in there. I don't even know if that means Pate. anything. Pate and quote yeah. quote unquote Pate. But Alaris is the star of this show, and so there doesn't seem to be a lot of racial discrimination, at least uh, at least among Marwin. But gender might be. Yeah. Seems like there might be. Yeah, I'm just... They're hiding it for sure, for a reason. Yeah, yeah. And we know from both Ace Wolf and our history and our current times that when people uh, come out and tell people about the gender, it doesn't always end well. <laughs> or when they don't with Brienne. Oh, she hasn't said anything. Yeah. Right? And yet she's not treated well. Yeah. She's treated as an outcast from all sides. Yeah. You're not... You're not fulfilling the man role appropriately you're not filling the female role appropriately yeah right? as as you wrote in your essay there and, and any accomplishments that you've achieved up to that point they could be the greatest accomplishments i mean alaris could have received their chain or the, all their links in their chain at this point and the minute they find out gender ripped that could all just be thrown out the ripped. window yeah Yep. Power, control, society. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. Um, are you are you ready for a bold statement? You guys ready? So we hear the story about Pate and and where the name comes from, and it, it basically says Pate is a good-hearted young lad, dim-witted that kind of ends up succeeding despite himself. Mm-hmm. Our Pate, though isn't good-hearted. And that's the difference. That's why he doesn't succeed. Debate. Mm, I didn't I didn't get the buy-in I was hoping for. No, but I like it. I like it. Uh, I think what's interesting about the Pate story is that it's such a contrast to what George usually writes. About, like, he's all about being realistic and, like, 
realistically, yeah. this would never happen. You can't have a peasant going up to the lord and being cocky. It just wouldn't work. I think he's even talked about that at some point. Um, so it's it's it is just a story that wouldn't make sense. But yeah, especially if you're not actually good-hearted, um, then you don't get any karma points either. And that's mainly the point I was making is that because he's not good-hearted he's not going to succeed and you're right george does kind of he does paint that picture of good-hearted doesn't matter all these other things matter you're going to get what you're just as a period if you're poor right but in the case of this story i feel like it's laid out pretty pretty specifically that he succeeds despite himself and it's kind of because he's good-hearted yeah but i don't think Pate is Pate has a lot. He's he's problematic, man. He's got problems, and right. he's doesn't have good morals. He's not someone you really want to identify with, and it's gonna end badly. I, I feel like this is foreshadowing for the chapter that it's not gonna end well for this guy because he isn't good-hearted. Yeah, he might be like Pate in a lot of ways, but he's not like Pate in the good-heartedness. Definitely. Hmm. Matt, I can I can feel your hate for my take. It's not hate that you that you that hate. you want to argue for Pate in his situation. It's reconcil it's reconciling my own feelings towards Pate because I, as you've picked up in this cast, there is I do feel a certain amount of sympathy for Pate. Uh, I think he's he's a product. There's a lot of him that's a product of his environment and his of his upbringing. Um, yeah. I, I think there's there's quite a bit of that. When I think of someone who's not good-hearted, I think of someone like Joffrey. <laughs> He's also a part of his I, environment. That's that's my problem with yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, I think of someone like Leo Tyrell. Um, but everyone's a product of their environment. Every absolutely. every single person is, and so you have to. So, I, I hear you, and that's that was the point I was going to make is that everyone is. Um, so where do I give a pass to Pate that I'm not giving to someone else? And that's what I'm trying to, to reconcile a little bit because he, he does a lot of things he shouldn't. And I've talked about those with you already. Um, the idea of owning Rosie is a huge problem. Yeah. The idea of, of then justifying stealing something from another person just to get something that you want, which is already kind of a desire that is a little problematic to have in the first place. Someone's made in head. Um, you're willing to steal something from somebody else in order to get that uh, is is very problematic. Um, Here, here's 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 my thing. So I get what you're saying because he's a product of his environment. He was not raised with a lot of a lot of advantages, and for sure that affects people. But like. Name a good thing he does in this chapter, like one of them. Like one good thought or thing he does. There aren't many. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My I agree. The altruistically just doing good, you don't see that. My read after this chapter all along has been a guy that's just beaten down. Yeah very beaten down yep. and we've talked a little bit about that yeah. too so uh, i have trouble calling him not good-hearted but i have trouble calling him good-hearted <laughs> i can't say he's good-hearted either so 
it is it's an interesting concept i did however make the note of how how ironic that or not even ironic it's not really irony but interesting that pate the pig boy always ends up on top and by the end of this chapter this pate does not <laughs> he's, ba- mm. he's barely above the commas yeah nope yep mm. well he's a complicated guy for me yeah yep. no i just i feel like what you're talking about uh, of him being a product of his environment you can see that so clearly in our world too people who are disempowered because of uh, economic circumstances or social circumstances mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. disempowered yeah and how they used instead of fight it's so common that instead of fighting against like the systems that disempower you like ta- like fighting the upper class or whatever he would do he just mm-hmm. he he brings takes it out on people who have less power than him and try to control that part that he feels like he can't control honestly that's that's the biggest that's so thing true. for me is is not any of the and the rosy stuff is bad but the biggest thing for me with calling pate not good-hearted is his biggest dream and i understand it's, it's a bit that he's just not had it before but his one of his biggest dreams is riding a big white horse and looking down yeah. on the small folk like why would you be someone in your position and just want to look down on people like you? You should recognize the position you're in and not want to look down on those people, but want to help them. Yeah. And what he thinks about is being in an elevated position and being able to mock them and look down on them and wave down from above them. I, I don't know. He says he wants to mock them. Um, not, I get what you're saying. Not mock, you're right. He never says mock. It's, but it's, like, it's, it's from a guy who, who's, he who wants spent to be his above whole life them, looking though. up. He wants to yeah, be above them. It's from a, a, a guy who spent his whole life looking up, and he wants to look yeah. down. And that's not that, that doesn't come from a good place. I agree with that. You're right, though. Mock yeah. is too strong. It's just it, instead of like, I want to be a maester and help the small folk. It's like, yeah, uh, definitely... how can yeah. I rip the small folk off by leeching their leeches and or setting their bones and leeching them and mm. looking down on them from a horse how can i how can i benefit from that not how can i help them right it just i think he definitely wants to experience privilege yeah absolutely, absolutely. he wants to experience privilege right well put yeah you put it better than i thought hmm. Hmm. good discussion yeah good discussion can we talk are we can we talk about marwin for a minute yeah He's so cool. <laughs> well, we don't know anything at this point, really, right? Like, it's just like rumor. It's like the cool uncle or something. But, I mean, is this like Skagos, where we suspect that the stories that are being told about him are just exaggerated and worse than what the truth really is? Or is this really what Marwin is? He goes down, he sacrifices things to other gods and, you know, mixes with strange, untrustworthy folk. Or, you know, is it like it's all a little overblown? I mean, I think he does a, a, a bit of that. But I think that yeah. what people <laughs> think is strange folk might not actually be that <laughs> strange. Just fine. It's yeah. just that dude. They're just people, man. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. he, he accepts other types of knowledges than 
the average Citadel Maester would. He puts stock in yeah. thing in like non-traditional knowledge, um, which might mm-hmm. be to his and the world's benefit in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think you're alone, Lo. Totally. I think I think you're saying like this is what a maester should be. Yeah, someone seeking knowledge from everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost the opposite of what we're talking about that Pate wants, right? Yeah. That he wants to experience the privilege of being a maester. Mm. And Marwin is genuinely drawn to learning. I I, I, I think that might be why there's a, a connection between him and Sorella. Oh, that Sorella, you know, Ariane says, Sorella turned over rocks, brushed sand off the mosaics, and wanted to know everything there was to know about people who had lived in a certain area. Totally. She was forever pushing in where she didn't belong. That's a great fit. Right? It's a great fit. And and uh, it's like, oh, no wonder her and Marwin, you know, became bosom yeah. buddies. So I'm, I'm getting away from this chapter, but then why is Pate also in it? So I agree with you. It seems like Marwin sure. and Sorella would be a good fit. They're both like seeking truth and wanting mm-hmm. to explore and find it, find things out and stuff. And they both probably have secrets or whatever. But like, why the hell is Marwin letting Pate around? <laughs> Me, I mean, one option would be that Marwin has seen through Pate, and like, I, I gotta keep my eye mm. on this. Oh, keep your enemies closer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. I'll buy it. I like that theory. But I'm not sure. I like that too. It is a it's a good question, Scad. There's little things like it said that Alaris gave him gave Pate like a strange look as mm-hmm. Pate was leaving, you know? Yeah. As they were at well, as Alaris was leaving. <clears throat> and so you wonder if maybe Alaris suspects something where you know, Alaris knows Pate quite well. And it seems like, you know, he kind of likes Pate. He stands, uh, Alaris, I'm calling him he because he's in his character as Alaris. Alaris stands up t- for Pate to Leo. Um, Alaris, you know, tries to calm Pate down when Leo is bragging about Rosie. Uh, and so all of a sudden, Pate comes back to the Citadel, Pate actually being the alchemist, right? Yep. And he's got kind of a different personality now. He's saying some different things. He's yeah. acting a little differently. There's a little different, like, skip to his step now. And yeah. he's like, hmm, we need to keep an eye on this yeah. guy. You would think Alaris would see right through that. Yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd think maybe they would. Mm-hmm. In- interesting. I'm, I'm very interested in what happens in, in Old Town. Uh, it's not a common answer uh, when you ask, like, what are you most interested in wins for? But what happens in Old Town is is probably my number one. I have some other characters I'm maybe more interested in than anyone that is in Old Town. But what happens in Old Town, I think, is going to be fascinating. And I know there's lots of discussion about war and naval battles and krakens coming out of the sea and tearing down the tower and everything. There's lots of things. But I'm very much interested in what happens there. Uh, I am. I will be stunned stunned if Hilaris isn't a huge part of it somehow. Agreed. Absolutely. They're certainly setting it up. So, uh, you guys have much else here? I have glass candle stuff. I don't have much else yeah. beyond glass candle stuff. I have alchemist stuff, but we don't have to talk about that right now. Till later, maybe? 
Um, go ahead, Matt. <laughs> I like uh, when they're talking about the glass candles and they say it's obsidian and Pate thinks, no, the small people say it's dragon glass or the small folks say it's dragon glass. And then he says, somehow that seemed important. <laughs> I wonder if that's George just like going, eh, eh, eh. I mean, somehow he does somehow seem important. Wait, wait. Uh, yeah, I feel like it is probably important. Of course, connecting Valyria with, you know, uh, obsidian coming, you know, we, we commonly um, associate that with the north, with the stuff that we're getting beyond the wall with Bran and everything. So uh, making those connections between those two cultures and those two places is really fascinating. Well, I think the effectiveness of the obsidian slash dragon glass against the others. Yeah, um, I feel like somehow that seemed important. But I, I, it, it seems like a throwaway, but I think it is important. Um, mm-hmm. That so we've talked about this, I think, in one of our very, very early episodes. Matt, you and I argued about the term "others" and what it meant and why people mm-hmm. hung out, hung on to that term. It was probably like episode five or something from this podcast, mm-hmm. a long, long time mm-hmm. ago. We were babies. But uh, we talked about why others was significant and whether they were referring to others or whether they knew what others were or it was just an other thing, all these kinds of concepts. And the reality is that these words stick with people. Yeah. And dragon glass is an easy word to kind of stick. Dragon glass. It sounds cool. It's the kind of word that sticks yeah. among the small folk for generations. And it's something that means something they called it dragon glass at a time for a reason mm. and i think that reason like is it. important going forward yeah. it's not a mystery necessarily yeah. i think we know what the reason is it's just still it's it's important yeah you guys got anything on the glass candles i mean i liked um i was re-listening to some old radio westerns episodes a while back and in their, I think it's their Long Night episode, like one of their early ones, they talk about how mm. useful it would be to have some sort of sword that could, that was partly dragon glass and could work as like glass candle stuff. Um, like how mm. um, maybe Lightbringer had been, uh, or like the last hero sword had been. I'm, I'm probably butchering this, I'm sorry. Radio Westeros, but how uh, it's interesting that you could have something that both brings light and you could communicate with it mm-hmm. and maybe use it to fight as well. So, I mean, a glass uh-huh. candle feels like you could probably stab someone with that if you wanted to. <laughs> they mentioned that it's very sharp. They talk about so, yeah, they cut fingers. Yeah, I can imagine, yeah. I don't know, maybe Sam sitting at a glass candle looking into the future or whatever looking spying and there shows up there's a white or something that shows up and he's like boom some yeah grabs it and just boom oh that'd be cool Hmm. yeah i I like that i feel like the glass candles are something that's i don't have a whole lot of deep thoughts on them but like it's it's something that george is gonna how reveal what they actually do. Yeah. It's a little weird because in this chapter they're laid out as such a mystery. Yeah. And yet in the last chapter of this book, like Marwin's there and they just bring Sam the guest in who they don't even know and Alaris is there and fake Pate is there 
watching and like everyone's looking at this freaking glass candle like it's it's not a mystery at all everyone can see it if they want to it's no big deal it's a little weird i i feel like i feel like george kind of i don't know dropped the ball on that one like this was a big mystery for us we wanted to know what they did and now like everybody and their aunt can just kind of see it it felt weird to me no i'm alone all right uh, yeah i i wonder if the full extent though is what will be the mystery yeah yeah it's a sam says Their full potential in his chapter sam says like oh when the door closed behind me the candle the flame didn't move and um mm-hmm. i don't know yeah the, the light was different i think he says but yeah, we, we don't we definitely don't get much detail about how different they are. But do you guys think they can they can see the future or see across the continents or I definitely think they can see across the continents. I think Yeah. In the in Sam's chapter Marwin mentions that he like knows a lot of Sam's story but not all of it and that he like yep. mm-hmm. I mean they they saw Sam coming. Uh, and that was probably due to the glass candle. Okay, so so the glass candle is more like a telescope. It can just like look everywhere, like Sauron's eye, or do you need another glass candle on the other end to like mm. receive the signal? Like a palantir, like a palantir, yeah, right? Right. To go continue with the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, stuff. thank you, Matt. I, I didn't think of that. Good job. Uh, I don't know. You don't. You don't have to answer. <laughs> no, it's no, amusing. it's. <laughs> I mean, I know there's been theorizing that Quave is using a glass candle to. Yeah coming to Danny's dreams right. for instance and Danny doesn't mm-hmm. have a yep. glass candle so maybe you don't need yeah. one to sort of project yourself yeah. or watch yeah yeah Lo, I think you make a good point uh, I found you know this quote from Samuel 5 that chapter that where he meets Marwin and Marwin says the sorcerers of the freehold could see across mountains, seas, and deserts with one of these glass candles. They could enter a man's dreams and give him visions and speak to one another half a world apart, seated before their candles. That, so that's like, that's if, like a plan here. But go ahead. Right. So communication back and forth, two-way type communication, perhaps requires two glass candles yeah. anywhere in the world, right? Um, but maybe for entering uh, someone's mm, dreams, one way. giving them visions, maybe for, uh, like Scad said, like having the telescope to see across the mountain seas and deserts. Um, he says they, they could see across mountain seas and deserts with one of these glass candles. I don't know if the one is meant to be emphasized or if it's just with a glass candle you can do that, but... Um, yeah, so maybe it depends on what they're doing with it, right? I love it. Mm. Very interesting. Mm. Thanks, Marwin. Thanks, Marwin, for being awesome but, and being better but, uh, than the rest of us. <laughs> um, Lo, you mentioned... Uh, oh, never mind. I forgot his name, too. Uh-oh. Molander. Man, I'm having trouble with names. Who's the the guy in the Harry Potter series? Snape Horror. Moody. No. Mad Eye Moody. He comes in. Mad Eye Moody. Wow. Mad-Eye good Moody. Pull. Yes. He didn't he gave you nothing. 
and you pulled that. It could have been Harry. It could I have been Ron. It could have been anybody. And you're like, Matt, I knew the, of course it is. Luke, you're talking, you're talking to a person who got a Harry Potter tattoo as, lo- as soon as they were po- they were old enough to do it. Right, yeah, right. and then covered it up. And you've since you've since modified that. Tattoo, yes, correct? I've covered it up uh, because I have complicated mm-hmm. feelings about Harry Potter nowadays. But yeah, I yeah. used to be extremely obsessed. Sure. So yeah. Uh, wow. Um, anyways, the only point I wanted to make with bringing it up is that Marwin, I envision someone like Mad Eye Moody in my head when I'm imagining that's Marwin. That's a great call, actually. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, it's not bad. Just kind of that gruffness yeah. and everything. It's not bad. And paranoia, no, it's not bad. <laughs> as well. Ah, true. Yeah, very true. Anyways, that's all I got there. Uh, um, part of the title of this episode is "Darker Things: Sphinxes," which we understand now. Alaris the Sphinx, dragons, which we understand because they've been talking about dragons all damn chapter. And darker things, Blazaria brings up. What are these darker things? Are they just the others? Something else? Good question. I mean, we also have the others wannabe Euron on his way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the <laughs> crackers. Others wannabe. Crackers. Yeah. Um, I, think, I mean, I think Emmet from that's called him something like that. <laughs> so... I stole that from there. Um, but yeah, I mean, he'll he'll bring the darkness. Definitely, I think. Emmett's wrong. High Towers will win. Okay, good to know. Just, just saying. <laughs> I'm the only one in the fandom that thinks that. Yeah, but I mean, there's also just darker things in chapter in that the world is kind of bleak and... Uh, um, I mean, Leo's being classist and racist, and uh, everything's mm. kind of crap. So I think, I think that's, that's um, also part of the darker things that the world is being threatened, but we're still bickering among amongst each other. The nights of summer, yeah. right? More idea. The winter is coming. Well, yeah. There must be something that that Marwyn is telling him. Um, when he says that dragons and darker things, said Leo, the gray sheep have closed their eyes, but the mastiff sees the truth. The mastiff, of course, referring to Marwyn. Um, so there's there's something that Marwyn's telling him, maybe coming through the glass candles. Uh, yeah, it's a little, I'm guessing other type stuff. It's a little weird because Marwyn has, so our, our view to Marwyn in this chapter is just like Zinio. Um, everyone else mm-hmm. is just talking about uh, hearsay things they hear from other maesters about Maester Marwyn, how crazy he is. But in the last chapter, in the Sam chapter, and it's been months, I guess, I don't remember exactly the dates that transpire between prologue and epilogue, but uh, the reality is that it's been a while. Uh, and at that point, Marwyn has Pate, he has Leo, he has Olaris. Uh, he presumably is like recruiting a little yeah. bit. Alaris doesn't know anything about Marwyn at this point, other than hearsay. But at the end of this book, he's like a cohort. He's part of the group. Feels like Marwyn's building some sort of uh, society or yeah. faction or something. 
Agreed. I mean, if he does see darker things coming and he doesn't trust the maesters to do anything about it, it makes sense that he would try to recruit among the novices and acolytes and such. The only thing that doesn't make sense is if he recruited yeah, Darren Young. <laughs> exactly. Maybe he knows he's the alchemist. Again, keep your enemies closer, just like Lo said. Right. Or, or maybe, yeah. maybe maybe he doesn't maybe he doesn't see him as an enemy. Or maybe Peyton has shown a lot more promise once he wasn't actually Peyton. True. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all right. Anything else before we move on to the next section? I just have one funny thing. Yeah, do it, Armin. Armin, the night is damp and the cobbles yeah. are slippery. <laughs> the night is dark uh, and full of terrors. Yeah, I, w- I wanted to give a shout out to you, Scad, when we covered this episode the first time. Oh, no. Um, do you remember what you said about this statement? No, I did not. No, I do not. You talked about how this is like the Maester's take on the night is dark and full of terrors. Yeah. Very science Maesters are so focused on truth and logic yeah. and things like that. So the night is dark and full of terrors is very like mystical yeah. and, you know, yeah. ominous. Whereas the night is damp. Therefore, because of the dampness, the cobbles are slippery. The friction quotient on the cobbles will not be high. Exactly. You might fall. Yeah. No, I like that. So, uh, I, uh, like in 2017, Scad, you, you said that, and I chuckled as I was listening. 2017 was sharper and more focused on this podcast, apparently, than 2021 Scad is, apparently. But I do have a note about it. My, my take is just, yeah, the night is damp and cobbles will be slippery. And I say the night is dark and full of terrors. It's it's meant to be foreshadowing, is what I'm saying. Yeah, sure. For what's about to come in the yeah. next section, to the end of the chapter. Yeah. Yep. But uh, I like my my 2017 take better. So your jape. Yeah. Well, the jape was uh, you know it was better than the serious take. <laughs> Let's get to know Lowe a little bit better. Let's do it. Yeah. All right, Low. What is your A Song of Ice and Fire story? How like how did you find A Song of Ice and Fire itself, the series? Yeah, um, I mean, like a lot of people, I found it for the show. Um, it was just like something mm. everyone was talking about, so I started watching it, um, and eventually I started watching like YouTube videos analyzing the show, and then I mm. realized, oh. There's a lot more in the books. I should read those. Yeah. Um, and uh, I did. I bought them and I read them and I was even more hooked uh, because the books are just so much more in-depth than the show is. Do you remember what like what the first YouTube videos you were watching were about the show? Uh, I think Alt Shift X. Mm-hmm. Um, probably. Because... Yeah. Uh, he had these like breakdown videos of episodes but also of like theories and stuff and I started mm-hmm. watching the theory videos uh-huh. and I was like oh this talks about the books and obviously there's things I don't understand because it's book things related <laughs> yeah, yeah so then I was like oh this this theory sounds very interesting I want to read the books and understand more of this so it kind of sounds like you found the fandom before you found the books, at least a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the, the TV fandom, but so the fandom. But what what was your gateway toward the book fandom? Um, I think like after reading the books, I was like, I need more book analysis. I need mm-hmm. more 
clever people talking about this and explaining stuff to me. And you didn't find any because <laughs> we're all just pedestrians. No, but I I think I actually just opened Apple Podcast and searched A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, and yeah. I think one of the first ones that came up was not a cast. This was like when they were getting started. They had put out like three episodes or something when I found them. Um, yeah, good timing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started with them, and also I think a class of critics. I don't know if you know them, but uh, I don't know. Uh, them. They're Australian. I haven't heard. They're really good. Um, they talk a lot about like the sort of scholarly perspective that I like as well. Um, cool. But yeah, so I started listening to them, and then uh, that made me want to listen to like Radio West- Westeros and Girls Gone Canon eventually and you guys and uh, yeah then I just started following everyone on Twitter and interacting and uh, mm-hmm. now here we are <laughs> and your life was never the same now here we are <laughs> yeah and everyone was just actually nice and replying to stuff <laughs> which isn't it great yeah. I mean, I hear a lot about toxic areas of the fandom, but I experience it almost never. Other than other than uh, Mark, uh, Song of Madness. Yeah. I mean, I almost never. Yeah, Song it. of Madness. Song of Madness brings out a lot of but people, it, but I feel like our little corner of Twitteros is, is peaceful, super positive, yeah. accepting, peaceful, fun. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I feel like. And I'm not going to do this, but I feel like if I left, if I stopped reading A Song of Ice and Fire completely, like, these people would still yeah. be my friends, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really cool feeling. It is. And an important feeling. All right. Lo, who is your favorite minor character in A Song of Ice and Fire? Or the supplemental work, of course, as well. Duncan Egg and Iron Blood, etc. Uh, I mean, Alaris. Uh but I have talked a lot about Larry's story, so um, I'm going to go with someone else. Uh, okay. A bit of a wild card, maybe. Uh, although Micah will definitely call this. Uh, because he... Who's Micah? Uh, Micah on Twitter, Micah of Clara. I'm just, yeah. I'm totally kidding. I know who Micah is. <laughs> I was like, you do know who Micah is, right? Uh, yeah, but yeah, Micah uh, usually teases me about this <laughs> being my uh, my person that I like. Um so Sabi for Frey, if you do you know who Sabi for Frey is? Ooh, for no, I don't. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure I did at some point, but I've forgotten. <laughs> so she's alive during the Dance of the Dragons. Uh, she's on the black side, um, and um, oh yeah, she ends up. She's a partner with. Uh, sorry, you keep talking. I'll stop interrupting. Yeah, no, I just. Okay, I'm just going to read this quote of her, and I think you'll understand why I love her. Uh, quote, Sharp-featured, sharp-tongued her- harridan of house-, house Vipern, who would sooner ride than dance, wore mail instead of silk, and was fond of killing men and kissing women, according to Mushroom. Um, and yeah, it's also noted that she had a relationship with Black Alley for a while. Yeah, Black Alley. Um, and... There's also this amazing quote that I love that describes sort of their relationship when talking about Black Alley. And it says that um, many fought her, Black Alley, 
to be of that same ilk as Sabifafri, for they were oft in each other's company and had been known to share a tent whilst on the march. And I just, I just love this description, that she's like a sharp-featured, sharp-tongued harridan, and that Black Alley may, might be of that same ilk as Sabifafri. And I just, mm-hmm. I, I just love it. I can picture her so well, and I hope she gets an appearance on House of the Dragon uh, when they get that far. Uh, I love all of that. Heck yeah. There's a, a quote uh, from Shit's Creek that I know Matt likes, that I like as well, uh, where one of the main characters says that he doesn't like the label, he likes the wine. Yeah. And I... And I feel like maybe that's Black Alley, yeah. that she was just kind of above everyone else and just understood that the character of the person is what matters. And, yep, she liked Sabbath of Frey. And, yep, she liked, you know, she liked Cregan. And, yep, she liked people that she liked. Yeah. And I kind of like that idea. Yeah, I haven't actually watched she Creek, but I want to. But I have seen, like, uh, that scene uh, someone posted yeah. a video of it, uh, oh, cool. and I absolutely love mm-hmm. that scene. It's great. Yeah, it's one of my favorite parts of the series overall. Such an important yeah. character. Such an important character. Yeah, David Rose. David. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Topical for this episode. You you didn't want to talk about uh, Sorella Alaris, but we're gonna make it. <laughs> uh, prediction time. What? What becomes of Sorella in the future of this series? What do you think? What do you got? I think that's so difficult. Because, I mean, first off, I think they'll definitely have to team up with Sam and Gilly and have to get the heck out of Old Town to survive. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, Not at the High Towers Yes, win. of course. Um, keep, keep going. <laughs> no, but I think, I think there is a chance that they survive to the end, but... Uh, and probably being one of the very few Martells to do so, because I think, I mean, Ariane's definitely gonna burn, uh, and Doran is probably fucked as well. Hot take. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I don't think Tristane would make it either. Um, but I think, mm. I think Alaris might. Um, so maybe they'll even end up being the one in charge. I think that's a possibility. Um, Interesting. Wow. Hot, hot. Yeah. I gotta leave the room. <laughs> but I mean, I think my nightmare scenario for wins is that mm. Euron gets his hands on Alaris, uh, mm. which wasn't something I had considered mm. before uh, Dan, aka Aegon the Sixth, brought it up uh, in uh, I don't remember if it was on Twitter or on Discord, uh, but he brought it up as a possibility, and that just sounds absolutely horrible. Um, because I can really imagine Euron torturing Alaris in some really insidious ways. Uh, because, I mean, he usually personalizes... It's kind of what he does. Yeah, exactly. And he personalizes <laughs> his torture, usually. Yeah. Uh, so I can yeah. see because, I can see yeah. it be somehow relating to like gender or ethnicity in some yeah. way. Uh, and just yeah. being really, really bad. So Well, that's not going to happen. Okay. That. Okay. That's, okay. That's uh, that's really bad stuff. That's not gonna happen. We'll we'll hope so. I don't think well, so. It could. No. It could. Matt. <laughs> oh. 
we're switching roles here, Scad. I'm being the pessimist. You're being the optimist. This is great. I'm trying to, I'm trying to this help is good them for out both here. Of us. And you're, this is good for both of us. <laughs> deny, denying my help for them to, to make them feel better. Yeah. I think, really I think, me here. low to your point, Euron getting his hands on any given character is the worst yeah. scenario for that character. <laughs> Just stay on your boat, man. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, the high tower is going to take okay, care of it. Cool. Uh, all right, which of the seven kingdoms is your favorite, and why? I mean, it feels kind of basic to say it, but the north. Um, okay, I thought you were going to go with Dorne, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear it. Let's go. Let's. let's hear I mean, it. Dorne is also great, uh, especially for the relative gender and gender equality. But uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I just. I like a lot of the northern houses. I feel like I can relate to being a northerner. I mean, my mm. family... Yeah. It, I mean, I'm from Sweden, but my family specifically from the northern part of Sweden. Like, we're talking above <laughs> the Arctic Circle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, D- don't worry, Lo. For most of the world, just saying you're from Sweden is north enough. Yeah, but like, yeah. I mean, I it gets like minus 25 degrees celsius during the winter so it's like Ooh. it's proper cold um but matt says Ugh, but we have no idea what you're talking yeah, about yeah i i can't it's i can't celsius. i can't fahrenheit i'm sorry mean. i can't fahrenheit um it's, it's cold. Cold. cold it's it's like colder yeah. than a freezer cold yeah, if if forty degrees is super hot Celsius, yeah. and when I lived in Brazil, it was like forty was the benchmark for super super hot. Then minus twenty five is insane. Yeah, I mean a freezer is normally like minus sixteen, eighteen, or something. So it's colder than that. Mm. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I I feel like I can pass. Hard yeah. Pass. Um. But I, I wouldn't want to live at, like, the last half or something. That's a bit too much even for me. But, like, <laughs> I could see live, I can see myself living in, like, White Harbor. That's a bit more mm. to the south. And I like oh, the idea of living yeah. in a port city. So I think it was asked once, like, where in Westeros I would want to live. And I said White Harbor. So, Lo, you and I can share a flat because White Harbor is pretty much where I'd want to yeah. live. Right? Yeah. It seems like a nice yeah. place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does. It does seem like a nice place. They don't go for garden, all but... they don't go for all the crazy blood magic of the northern religions, mm. but the north, they're in yeah. the north where it's kind of where it's kind of peaceful and chill. And yet they got the the silver coming in from mm-hmm. the harbor. You know, so they they got some money coming in. I I'm a I'm a white harbor boy. I like it. Yeah. I'm with you. Let's go put a down payment yes. down. Let's do yes. it. <laughs> Okay, so I might want to switch these last two questions. Whose POV are you most excited to get in wins? I don't know. Um, I think Brienne. I mean, obviously, I love. Yeah. I just love Brienne in general. So I always want more Brienne content. But also, I just have no idea what's gonna happen. Like, how yeah. is she gonna get out of the Stoneheart situation? What will happen with yeah. Jamie? Uh, yep. What will happen with Todd and Hyle? Will they go on some sort of mission? Will they see the Red Wedding 2.0? I don't know. There's so many possibilities. And I just really want to know what's going to happen. 
Yeah, there's Oof. there's there are a lot of POVs that it's like there you know something interesting is going to happen, but Brienne's or Jamie's depending on which one we get first, maybe is the one you can be most sure that something really badass is going to happen. Like something and, is going to happen, and it's going to happen quick. Yeah, and very yeah immediately. Like you're not going to wait a chapter or two. Be- it's going to be know, like Brienne one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Something something is going to happen. Immediately in whichever whichever POV we get yeah. first. So I like that answer. I'm with you. I I'm most interested to see what happens with Arya, mm. but I'm not sure it will be as immediate as what happens with Brienne. Yeah. Right. So I I think that's a great answer. For sure. For sure. So what keeps you coming back to a Song of Ice and Fire? Well, that's a good question. I mean. I've always loved fantasy. Like I was obsessed with Harry Potter growing up, but also it was like Narnia, mm-hmm. Percy Jackson, whatever. Loved mm-hmm. it all. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think with Ace Wolf, it's just like the layers of the story. You have the fantasy stuff, you have the war stuff, you have, mm-hmm. but you also have the relationship drama. You have like yep. big, po- big mm-hmm. scale politics, but you also have like politicking between characters and you have all of this like complex world building and social structures and it's just just so much uh, that the world just feels really lived in uh, and I just love that there's there's always yeah. more to explore basically yeah. oh perfect yeah yes you're like Sorella <laughs> exactly it's always a new rock to turn mm-hmm. over or something I mean here we are like breaking down the character of leo tyrell Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know yeah and even leo tyrell i I think i think with paint i felt more sympathetic to him in previous reads and now diving into this chapter for whatever it is the sixth time or whatever it is five or six i feel more like yeah he's a privileged creep even though he's you know got some challenges of his own He's just privileged and a creep, and he has some dynamics to him that are really not good. Yeah, it's I can I can come back to this series every time I read it. I get something else out of it, mm. like some either my own perspective has changed through how I've lived and the world has shaped me, and now I interpret it differently, or I just see something else in the text. You know, yeah, I'm with you, Lo. Something changes every time. Now, Lo, when you read A Song of Ice and Fire, do you still do, like, straight read-throughs, start to finish? Or mm. are you at the point now where you're kind of jumping around, you know? I I sometimes do straight read-throughs. Uh, recently, I've, my latest sort of read-through was a Cersei read-through because uh, mm. I was doing yeah. uh, an essay with Ruhan, Um who's at Cyril Woodcock on Twitter. And we were doing a collaboration about Cersei and her relationship to gender, which is also on my blog. Yep. Uh, load the links at wordpress.com. Um, so then I did like, uh, yeah, just all Cersei's chapters in one go and taking notes and sort of just getting immersed into that cha- that character. Um, and I done the same with Brienne at some point as well. So sometimes I do that. Uh, characters yeah mm-hmm. but uh, I think 
yeah, last summer was probably the last time I did like the whole series in one go. Um, wow. <laughs> More recent than me. Yeah. I also did a Davos I... one not too long ago because I was writing an essay about him. So I tend to do like yeah. da- like character read-throughs uh, when I write something. That's great. Are you a quick reader? Do you consider yourself a fast reader? Uh, yeah, but I feel like I don't have too much energy and time to read. So I do a lot of uh, o- sure. audiobooks also. Uh, oh, okay. When I did a Davos read-through recently, I listened to his chapters on audiobooks and took notes and that was really helpful so that i could like do the dishes or go for a walk uh, when listening Mm -hmm. do you do you read in english or do you read in swedish english english Uh, i ever since my english got good enough for me to read in english i've (laughs) read like if if something's originally published in english i will read it in english um, is I I know I sound really ignorant, but like, is that just because the translations are bad, or um, like it's? I mean, some translations are bad. I don't think the ASWAP translations are that bad. I've looked through the first book in Swedish, um, but some translations of other books aren't great. Well, not like yeah. bad, but you don't get the same. I don't know the same. I don't know if you know, Lo, but there's a huge controversy. Uh, well, the controversy is a few weeks old now, I suppose. But Squid yeah, Game I heard with with the subtitles that like they didn't do a good job, and I I agree. I mean, I don't know anything about Korean, but when I read the subtitles, I'm like, I'm sure that's not what they wrote. I know that's not what they wrote. No writer would write this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I always I I hate dubbed things on uh, like films and shows i totally get and i watched the dub i wa- I was watching the subtitles. yeah yeah but i i always yeah, watch with subtitles and not dubbed uh but i've heard that maybe the dub is better in just in squid game oh, really? uh, or oh. i i don't oh. know it's um it would take a lot for a dub to be better than a subtitle yeah me. i it's so hard to watch i I can't deal with dubs generally. Um, <laughs> I I once I watched like just for fun I watched the dubbed versions of the Harry Potter movies because I had Ooh. the DVDs and they had both subtitles and dubs and it was so weird <laughs> too. Yeah, you said just for fun, but it doesn't sound. It wasn't fun. fun. It was a bad idea. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean I've. I've been able to watch things with subtitles since I was like, I don't know, 10 maybe. So I haven't watched anything with dubs since. Yeah. Well, should we move on to our uh, our third part of the chapter? Yes. Let's do it. This is the third chapter summary part. Go ahead, Matt. Okay, so, you know, only Pate and Lazy Leo remain now at the Quill and Tankard Inn. How is our lovely little Rosie, pray? asks Leo. But Pate, in his wisdom, chooses not to answer. Leo prattles on, insinuating that once he has her, surely the price will fall to something Pate can afford. Pate wants to kill him. 
but he knows he can't. Liu has training only available to nobles. And even if fate had found a way to win, he would lose for killing a noble. Lazy Liu was a Tyrell, you see, the ruling family of these lands, and quite literally untouchable. A cousin to Mace Tyrell. But Pate's thoughts are also on the dawn. It has come, and the alchemist has not. Is he still, is he still a thief if he puts it back? You see, Pete had completed the alchemist's assignment to steal a key from Archmaester Walgrave, but he also took a bit more. Yeah, he doesn't want to think about that now, though. For now, he thinks about other options, like fleeing the Citadel without his chain, becoming a barber, or getting employment on a ship, pulling an oar. Yet still, he ends up heading back to the Citadel to perform his duty. Yeah, and as he does, he wanders through the cobblestone streets filled with mists, different than the muddy streets of King's Landing and other cities of Westeros. Its buildings organized, detailed, set up in rows, never more beautiful than the dawn, the high tower with its ever-present flame above the city. Yeah, and as Pete fondled towards the citadel, his future was clear to him. Never a maester, forever a wasted novice. He was at his lowest points when the alchemist finally made his appearance. The alchemist says that he was not late, but simply did not want to interrupt Pate with his friends. And he asks Pate, or, uh, sorry, he asks if Pate knows who he is. I suppose I'm a thief. I thought you might be. And now we hear the tale of Pate robbing Archma Archmaester Walgrave. Pate had gotten on his hands and knees and opened the broken lockbox. He'd taken the key, black, that only Archmaesters had and that could supposedly unlock any door in the Citadel. And he walked away. Yeah, and then he had come back to take the <laughs> silver. Stealing is stealing, he supposed. You have my dragon? Pete asked the alchemist. If you have what I require, replied the alchemist. The alchemist led him away from the main road to conduct their business. Pete had to follow. If he wanted Rosie, he had to follow. Through winds and alleys he followed until Pete requested that they stop and conduct their business. The alchemist produced the dragon at Pate's request. Pate grabbed it, bit it. He had no idea if it was real. It was just a fabrication of what others had done. The alchemist asked for his key. Pate demurred. Yeah, he wanted to change the game now. Why did the alchemist want the key? He wanted to know. But it was none of his business, the alchemist said, and the alchemist was right. So Pate gave him the key. But before toddling off to Rosie, he asked to see the alchemist's face. Of course. A fizz. A shadow of a beard, young with full cheeks, a hooked nose and a scar on his right cheek, thick black hair. Who are you? Who are you? Pete asked. A stranger. No one, truly. Pete walked away toward his fate. Toward Rosie. At least he thought. But the cobbles moved beneath his feet. His heart hammered in his chest, and his face planted against the stones. His last thought was of Rosie. 
Bye, Pate. Goodbye. And also, hello, Pate. Yeah. <laughs> Pate is dead. Long live Pate. Pate is dead. Long live Pate. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. It's mm. good riddance, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> good riddance, but also, what is this guy doing? Should we dive into the mystery, or do you want to start? Do you want to start easier? Let's now let's dive in. What is this guy doing? What's he doing? So we know, we know, spoilers abound, we know that this guy assumes Pate's face, apparently shrinks his body as well somehow, uh, and becomes Pate. Presumably to eh, unlock the secrets of the Citadel? He's infiltrating the Citadel in some way. Um, yeah. The common theory is is uh, he's a faceless man. Faceless men, um, you know, have a forever beef. They hold the, their their order started because of uh, being slaves to Valyria, and so now there's dragons back in the world, and and um, kind of the return, perhaps, of old Valyria, and the faceless men want to combat that. They want to fight back, and the citadel. You know, uh, rumor has it the Citadel has resources, books on dragons and such that could be valuable. That's the common explanation. That the face. I don't know if we should just accept that to combat dragons. That's what you're. Yep. That's, that's the common. Okay. That 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 is a that is a common theory in the fandom. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's the one we should accept, but there it is. Yeah, I think I've also heard a version of them having a dragon's egg because Euron mm -hmm. maybe uh, used that to pay for them killing Balon. So they want some info about dragons because they have a dragon egg. Oh, they want to hatch their own. Maybe. Maybe? Mm -hmm. Fight fire with fire? I like that one too. Ooh, fight fire with yeah. fire. Now you're speaking my language, Lo. That's a Metallica <laughs> song. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fight fire with fire. Ending is near. I won't sing the whole song, but I could. Uh, okay, so here's here's my problem with the faceless man doing this. Um, we see Arya do the same thing, kill with a coin, where they uh, poison a coin to some degree, and um, Arya does it to this uh, insurance agent that she's ordered to kill. And uh, the faceless man here, represented by the alchemist, does it with Pate. But they usually kill when they're contracted to do so. They're not just supposed to kill indiscriminately, right? No. That's what they say, at least. Uh, but I don't know, maybe if it's their like original purpose of fighting right. dragons maybe oh, that, that supersedes yeah, okay I'm with I you I don't know yeah that's what I was thinking too that like their overall goal is that but uh, these hit jobs they're just to pay the bills you know to continue yeah. funding the big mission kind of like the some contracts are written in blood kind of thing with the golden company it's mm. like well we're going to honor yeah. what we honor, but holy shit, no, blood is, that's, this is more important. Right. Yeah. That kind of thing. I can see that. But so, I mean. So I was thinking of Jockin as a, as a rogue agent, but it's more like he's, he's got the mission in mind and probably has approval is what you guys are saying. 
perhaps. 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 Yeah. Interesting that uh, we find out in this chapter that Rosie made the introduction. Yeah. Alchemist to Pate. Interesting how. Um, any thoughts on that? Oh, you want okay. You want to ask us? All right, that's fair. Well? I don't know. I mean, I've seen people suggesting that she's in on it somehow. Yeah. I also just think it right. might be that that like the alchemist was seeing like who's the weak link in the citadel that I can get to. Okay, it's Pate. I can definitely get to that guy. How do I get to Pate? Rosie. So maybe he paid her or something. Just yeah. like, hey, can you introduce me to this guy? Yeah, I mean, you, you just if you I, just spoke if, what if I Rosie literally introduces wrote down. Him, then yeah. 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 If Rosie makes the introduction, Pate's going to pay attention. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like Rosie is... Um, well, she's not bad or anything, right? She's just, uh, you know, she's living life. And she got probably approached mm -hmm. by this guy and was like, hey, if if you see somebody that you think might be a candidate to do this thing, you know, send them my way and I'll give you a kickback. And yeah. I don't know what she got, you know, a dress, a, a silver coin. I don't know what she got, but I bet she got some sort of kickback from the alchemist to deliver someone that had the access that he was looking for. She didn't care that it was Pate. She doesn't hate Pate. She doesn't like him necessarily either. She probably would have delivered Alaris if she thought that was the person that had the access. So I think she's or, just uh, kind of like Shay. She's just doing what she got to do to get by. For sure. Uh, yeah, it's potentially pretty easy money. Uh, or like Lo said, it could have been that um, this faceless man, we'll call him Jacquin because we don't have another name for him, uh, had been kind of observing Pate and recognized that he was the weak link and specifically talked with Rosie about making that introduction specifically to Pate. Either way, he gets what he needs. Yep. Yeah, that what? book was called The Death of Dragons. <clears throat> One of its kind hidden away in the citadel. Which book? Which book now? Mm -hmm. Supposedly, there was a book called "The Death of Dragons," one of its kind, hidden away in the citadel. Mm. Yeah, which is a little interesting because what you were talking about. Well, I think the both of you kind of combined to make the point that maybe they have a dragon's egg, and that might be why he's there to learn that, that information. Yeah. But yeah. death, death, death of the dragon. If that's what you said, would imply they're after the opposite to kill the dragons, which. Is something that Marwin says earlier that, or somebody implies Marwin says, I guess, that the Macers are not interested in dragging the magic being in the world. Uh, so that's a little interesting. Yeah, it, it could be both. The fire with fire thing that Lowe brought up, thanks mm. Metallica, could be that they, they think that dragons are really hard to kill. Maybe a dragon can kill another dragon. So we got this dragon egg. If we can raise it up to be our dragon, we can then use it to, mm -hmm. like Lo said, fight the fire with the fire. But we need the book to tell us. Metallica said that. Uh, James Hetfield, thank you. Actually, I don't know who wrote that song, but yes. Uh, should we talk about Pate? Because 
all chapter, even the first section, like the first or second page, I think, of this chapter, it talks about there'd be no one to watch him there if he went away. Um, and no one to, no, sorry, no one to accuse him there, I think is what it says. Uh, and here we learn why why it is that he's paranoid about being accused and watched. Uh, he stole, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, is not good. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like had I done what he did, I wouldn't be going back. <laughs> yeah, I guess he's thinking that he can put it back and no one will know. Yeah. But I'm... Uh, I don't know if that would have worked. I feel like he's too... Like, someone would notice him acting weird. Probably. Yeah. And they've already accused him of stealing before when he actually didn't do it. So. He, like, he's not smooth at all. Yeah, I feel no, like he couldn't maintain that composure. Yeah, he couldn't maintain that front. I watched tonight, yeah, I, mean, I watched... Netflix has a movie, it's like the new Home Alone movie that they made. And, uh... It's not mm-hmm. it's not high quality cinema. I'm not gonna pretend it is, but it was pretty funny, and my kids picked it. And the dad in that movie, I've never, I don't feel like I've ever seen him anything else. This actor, but he was just fantastic at being bad at being smooth. Like it wasn't so awkward it... that like everyone would notice, but he was also like, "You're never gonna get away with this." Not smooth, right? Yeah, that was Diz Plus, right? Not Netflix. Uh, sure. Right, because we watched I... it. Oh, we watched it last weekend too. It was sweet. With the Office Girl, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was dumb, but it was sweet. Sure, the Diz. Then, uh, sorry, sorry, yeah. Netflix. You get That's no right. credit. The Diz right. gets the credit. <laughs> I call it the Diz. Um, it, I think I think he might always be. Uh, this is Pate now. He can always fall back on the story of like, you know. Archmaster Walgrave isn't all there. You know it. I know it. Everyone knows Ooh, it. Yeah. Probably just lost yeah. it somewhere. Yeah, that's a good. It's a good thought. You think Pate thinks that, or you think Matt thinks that? Oh, I definitely think Matt thinks that. It's a story <laughs> yeah. that Pate could use no, <laughs> if you thought of it. Yeah. Although he <laughs> might, because he had to... to use it before when Pate or when Walgrave really did break the lock. So. Um, and there's a difference between Pate thinking it and then Pate being able to pull it off. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Again, the dad from the net Netflix or Diz Plus, Diz the Diz show. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, I don't think. I mean, he he didn't manage to convince someone when it had actually happened. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> so true. Yeah, I don't true. think he can now either. Probably, probably not a whole lot to go on. Is there is there anything to what to the other things he found in the lockbox? The mustachioed woman picture and the lobster glove. Are there? I admit I didn't go look in the fandom if there are theories about this. You guys got any thoughts on this? He finds a picture of a mustachioed yeah. woman that looks very much like Walgrave, and he also finds a lobster glove. Glove eh, lobster glove. That might be the terminology. Uh, from a former prince, according to Walgrave. I don't know. The thing about the mustached woman just reminds me of Celise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't mm-hmm. know if he has some florent uh, blood in there somewhere. Mm. Um, that's the only thing I got. I, I feel like I have heard other theories 
but I cannot remember them and I didn't look it up. Uh, I looked it up. This isn't this isn't coming from my uh, my knowledge at all. I had to look it up. Um, Just Maester fake it. Wallace. Maester Wallace was the bastard son of a high tower girl and an archmaester of the Citadel. That's all the information we have on Wallace. Wallace was uh, the uh, maester who is rumored to have helped the northern Stark, conspiracy Rick, stuff. Rickard yeah. Stark's southern ambitions stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was seen as kind of the guy that spurred that. Now, so we know that he came from a high tower girl and an archmaester of the Citadel. Um, so there's a connection, potential connection there. What does that mean with a knight's gauntlet? Uh, what does that mean of a miniature of a woman resembling Walgrave? I don't know. No idea. Um, I wondered so, if the miniature of a woman resemble, resembling Walgrave was simply Walgrave himself, maybe younger. <laughs> um, I wanted much that like, too. much like you know, Alaris Sorella. Uh, yeah, if this is similar. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. What? Sorry, I I think I missed it. What was the connection between Wallace and Walgrave? Or this that he was an archmaester of the Citadel. <laughs> the Walgrave. So is, is someone thinking that Walgrave is the father? The father of Wallace. Yes. Wallace. Yes. Okay. okay I mean, Walgrave is super old. I don't remember how old Wallace was. I mean, he's dead now. He's around he was, with Rickard Stark. He was around with Rickard Stark. I mean, that might make him, you know, classmates. Which isn't Walgrave. super ancient history. Well, yeah, it depends. Um, I mean, how old was he when he was with Rickard, right? It's kind of a question, I guess. Yeah, but what does that mean? Yeah, that theory's been floated and it's out there online and everything. It's even on the it's on the Wiki of Ice and Fire. So it was seen as good enough to be put there. Yeah. But... Um, I, I don't I have I struggle making like a connection of importance. To what it there. really means. Yeah. Like what does that matter? Yeah, exactly. What is it? What does a knight's gauntlet have to do with it? You know. I feel like this is a thread that very easily George could just drop, and never come back to, or it could be like it was the key to destroying the kraken. Like <laughs> it could be anything. This yeah. is everything. Yeah, um, I'm sure. Some, some one of our blood riders out there has a thought that they'll share I'll just with say, us. It's a weird thing to keep a gauntlet in a box. Totally. I'm just saying it's weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's all I'm saying. Another interesting thing is that um, in the Bible, Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus for a bag of silver. And, uh, That's true. This, uh, bag, this bag of silver is kind of indicative of... Um, uh, of of Pate's kind of betrayal of Walgrave. I mean, it's one thing to steal the key, which he was asked to steal in order to get the dragon, but him stealing the silver was just him being spiteful. And did just... Judas? Did Judas have doubts? Did he like doubt and then come back and do it? It would be an interesting. We don't have that, or the Bible doesn't contain that information. Oh, he certainly Bible. did afterwards. He. Uh, he he committed regretted. suicide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had regret yeah. for sure. Right. I mean, I definitely think that's probably on purpose. George yeah. likes to drop in religious references like that. Little does, things like sure. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I don't have a ton more on this section. Um, I, I did have just kind of thematically all the possibilities of the world before you, but still your feet turn toward their known direction. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Talk he's, about that. well, <laughs> it's not that profound. It's just, you know, he's, he's walking inexorably toward a fate that like, the reader can see is not good if he actually makes to the citadel he's going to get accused and get in trouble and all these things and he even considers these other fates like i could just walk away right now i could go you know buy a donkey with the money i got and i could go do this other life thing and give up this dream and get away and yet he doesn't do it he turns you know almost without control it seems like toward the citadel to go face his fate and I remember that I, I, I remember in college having a conversation with my <laughs> I had two roommates my freshman year of college Steve and a guy named Kelby Kelby mm -hmm. Durenick and Steve and I arrived first and Kel and we were like I bet this guy's gonna be like like Kelby Kelby Durenick I bet he's like a linebacker I bet he's like this big like hulking dude he was like five five one twenty i mean he was nothing <laughs> great great dude amazing loved him we called him special k in the end other stories involved there but uh he was awesome but he argued with steve and i that change is easy you can just at any point you can walk away and you can go move somewhere else and you can get somewhere else and you can get work and you can have a job and you can do these things and life is life and you just walk away at any point change is easy and steve and i just disagreed with him vehemently about this and yet uh sophomore year he walked away from us just totally changed his life quit college did his own thing walked away <laughs> became he just did he worked retail for a while then he did some other college thing just totally walked away completely proving his point and i just kind of, I wish Pate had been a little bit more like Kelby, I guess. Yeah. Just walked away. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely think there's something to, like, it's easier to continue on, like, a well-trodden path. It's always easier to continue on the path you're set on than walking off it. And I can. I think we can see that with so many characters, like there is an expectation for someone like Brienne to just do All what she's that. supposed to do, yeah. marry someone, have a kid, be a lady, uh, and when she insists on going off the path, she keeps running up against obstacles. Um, That's so true. And and I love the yeah. way you put that in your essay, Lo. Uh, you say I, I'm gonna butcher it, but you basically say that she says she was uh, somewhat sad that she couldn't meet that goal and fulfill that path and yet also relieved and yeah. again I butchered it but uh, that that's the idea that 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 Brienne is very conflicted about not fulfilling that and yet also not having to fulfill that yeah um, yeah and I guess Pete is just feeling like if I'm gonna move up in the world, I have to go on this path towards the citadel. Mm -hmm. But maybe he would just be happier getting a donkey and riding off. Yeah. 
and he never knows. Because one thing about Pate is he always looks for the easy way out. Well, I say always. We only get one chapter of him. But um, when he's trying to earn his links, who does he try to go to? The easiest, the, yeah. The easiest, most pushover maesters, archmaesters that there are yep. to try to take the easy way. Rosie's made it. You know, he, like I made the point before, it seems like he honestly wants to build a life with Rosie. But instead of you know, trying to develop an actual relationship, relationship with, her. with her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, why do you get to know this person? Mm, I'll <laughs> He's just, just like, I'm getting a dragon. It'll be easy. I'll just steal a key. I'll get a dragon. Then she's mine. Right. Easy way out. And, uh, this is the easy, like you said, low, the well-trodden path. As rock again, can tell it you, doesn't, there is no easy way out. It doesn't work out for him. Yes. Yes. The lessons we can learn from that wonderful series. Did you did you hear there's a remake coming out of Rocky Four? Why? So, I don't want to waste the podcast okay. time yeah. talking about it, yeah. but it's in, it's an interesting story. I'll tell you that. Okay. It's a passion. I think I've story. heard about this. Passion I'm, Stallone. I'm skeptical. Listen, Rocky Four is both the best and worst Rocky film there is. Uh, it's the best in some ways and the worst in some ways, and that's all I'll say for now. Are they going to just try to change a couple things and re-release? According to what I read, he changed a lot. Okay. Yeah. It changes, like, the way you feel about, like, the whole story. A little. Oh. Kind of. Anyway. That's fun. Yeah. Hmm. Indeed. So, you guys got okay. anything left for this, uh, this last section here? Any final thoughts? Nope. <laughs> I think... The only thing is, it's kind of minor, but mm-hmm. the way that the streets of Old Town are described as like winding and being complicated mm-hmm. just really reminded me of different medieval cities I visited. Mm. Um, which I started counting them, and turns out it was more than I thought. Um, guess that's the thing with living in Europe. But uh, it really reminded me of a Swedish town called Visby, uh, which was really important for trade in the Baltic Sea during the Middle Ages. It's on an island. Um, and I lived there for a year. And before you learn to find your way, for, especially for like the medieval parts of the town, it's a nightmare. <laughs> because it's like the streets are not straight. You can't look at a map and understand where you're going. <laughs> like there's one street that's... Um, it goes from east to west. Uh, from one gate in the city wall to another gate in the city wall. But it's not a straight line, it's more like an S. So you get to like a crossroads and you figure that, oh, this street probably continues straight ahead. No, that's another street. You have to go left to continue along the street that you were walking walking on. Um, So I think it's, I mean, they talk about how Old Town is more ordered than King's Landing, but it's still a medieval town and those are a mess. And I just, I felt that as someone who's tried to stumble along uh, medieval <laughs> streets uh, while drunk, uh, I, <laughs> I felt that. Especially uh, with the cobbles as well. Uh, and cobbles? It, yeah. I, have, I had a friend who was, she was really drunk and we were walking home and she fell and like knocked out a tooth on the cobbles and it, yeah, it was a mess. Yikes. 
were you drunk on what is what do they call it in this chapter curiously strong no it's not curiously strong fearsomely fearsomely strong cider yeah uh i was probably (laughs) drunk on cider uh actually that seems likely um yeah that's cool that you're uh that you're so well traveled I mean, around. I'm not that well-traveled. It's just, I've been to several medieval towns in Sweden and two different ones in Spain. Um, for instance, I've been to Cordoba. Uh, and No, wait, I've also been to... Oh, what's his name? What's it called? I forgot the name of the town. Um, but they filmed some of Game of Thrones there. Um, oh. Another town uh, sort of near Barcelona. Um, so I saw the square where they have um, in Bravos where they have the play uh, for instance and I saw one of the sets that they used for the um, uh, what's it called the, high, the, the Sept Dang. in King's Landing cool. so that was Dang. cool yeah that's awesome uh, Yeah, and in Cordoba uh, which is in southern Spain uh, they used one of the bridges there for the long bridge of Volantis, so I've seen that too. So, I don't think I will travel, I just, like, it's easier to travel in Europe, because the distances aren't that big. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't want to be the one to say it, but it feels like, it feels like the Europeans that I know, and there are not a ton of them, but it's a handful, it feels like they've traveled between countries a lot more than Americans. Like, I don't know whether it's the yeah. proximity, or ease of the euro pass or the ease of the currency or what it is but whatever it is it, it feels like it feels like the europeans travel a lot more amongst the different countries there and uh, i'm jealous having only traveled to a few of them right. um old town reminded me of venice but only because it was mm. kind of the most narrow streeted kind of thing that i've been to where i felt like i could very easily get lost and not know where i was going uh because you can't see above the things you're walking around um yeah but but i but i also knew even in my comparison i'm like ah it's not at all really alike there's no mist or fog here it's not you know mm-hmm. it's different but that was the closest thing i could remember i could think of that's cool yeah i mean it also reminds me a bit of a part of stockholm which is literally called old town oh um, nice <laughs> it's the old part of the city um where you can, for instance, walk past uh, a square uh, where uh, the Stockholm bloodbath took place in the 16th century. Ooh. Uh, which uh, they took me with, and with my school class when I was like 10. I'm like, hey, they killed about 100 people here. Isn't that fun? <laughs> wow. All the kids are like, wow. They do not take it easy on the kids there. No, it's um, it's kind of like the red wedding that situation, uh, except like uh, yeah, Danish king taking all the Swedish nobles that didn't like him taking over Sweden and then just killing everyone. Yeah, that's a great field trip. Yeah, super fun. (laughs) Well, there's one person for sure that is not not afraid of the wines, winds, and uh, back alleys of Old Town. And that is our friend, the Faceless Man. Oh, not Willis Terrell. Okay. Because 
our friend, the faceless fan, is from where, Matt? He's from Laura. I knew this would come back up. Laura. Yeah. He's from Laura uh, of yeah. the Maze Makers. And he was yes. sent specifically to Old Town so he could find his way through the wines and then find his way to Battle Isle and make his way through the very the mazes under elementary the mazes compared to what they're used to in Lorath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uncover the secret of Battle Island to make sure that the High Towers win. Which will be key in the battle against Euron. Yep. Boom. That was a theory that originated with Davos Fingers. With you, Matt. Take credit. You came up with it. With Davos Fingers. We do this well, together. We do these things together, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I am very interested in like the history of, of the High Tower and all of that weird mystical maze so, stuff. <laughs> it's so old, bro. I mean I know so you know. Weird. But like it's so <laughs> old. It's older than like basically anything else on the continent. Yeah. And so it means something. This is why I Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> I did a whole going. panel about it. I'm stopping. It's fine. If you're interested, I think there's a Patreon post about it. Probably maybe. We could do a special episode on it sometime. That'd be fun. <laughs> I mean, I did a panel. We could easily do a special op- special episode. Are we ready mm-hmm. to sign off? Yeah. 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 All right. Let's do it. Lo, would you like to start us off with a sign off? Sure. Um, so when I was looking up old essays and stuff about this, I came across uh, a quote from researcher Marquis Bay that I wanted to share that I feel really describes um, feeling trapped in the gender binary, which we've been talking a bit about. Mm. So the quote is, they tell us, they call us boy, call us girl, because that is what we are, have been, will always be, because there is no outside to this. The violence proliferates, the designation lacks the proper size because what we yearn for are improper sizes that fit us ill-fittingly. Mm-hmm. It lacks the correct numerical measurements because all we want is to incorrectly measure up. What they've given us, godlike and tyrannical, is a stuffy room with no space to run around in. And they call it viable life. So that's my sort of depressing sign-off. <laughs> Uh, I also have a depressing sign off Matt if yours is uplifting maybe I should go next well either way mine is uh, uh, encouraging I'll say it that way (laughs) let me go next then and you can encourage everyone after because mine's not fun either okay this episode was recorded on the day of the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict and will release stay tuned the day after Thanksgiving And so this afternoon, as I was thinking about my sign-off, I was also thinking about what I'm thankful for. I am thankful that I live in a country that continues to empower armed white men to make whatever fucking choices they want without consequences. And I'm thankful because clearly, as a white man, I am far too insecure to consider societal change that might put in jeopardy my status at the top, while actually benefiting every other single fucking person in this country. Stay classy, America. Maybe this is something that America needs to learn. Then uh, my sign-off is from uh, Alaris. 
He said, the day you make them all, meaning all your shots, the day you start making all your shots is the day you stop improving. That doesn't let's just all, apply to video games. Let's all try to uh, fucking improve. Yeah. 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 Push yourself, Kalisar. Push yourself beyond the comfort levels. It's easy to get comfortable. Don't let yourself, whether it comes in your thinking, your skills, your education, whatever. Well put. Thank Lo, you, Lo. You've this been was a pleasure. Guest. Yeah. Yep. Thank you for having me. It was super fun. The time really flew. It. it was the fun time for flew. us, too. Yeah, the time did fly. Okay. Thank, thank you for being great, bringing your perspective and uh, teaching us all a lot. Matt, I love you yeah. as always. And Kalisar, we'll see you next time. Good night. Good night. Good morning to Lo. <laughs> and good morning to Lo. <laughs> yeah. And others. All right, that is it. So you cut out a bit there, but I think I think you finished the end yes. and we'll get that audio. Sorry. It's not your That's fault totally for sure. I think Matt can pick it up in the audio. Right, Matt? You're magic. Uh, no, just our, our computers record things well. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so Matt's not magic. <laughs> All this no. time, I thought it was you. Not even close. It was you, Fredo. <laughs> they have to be seated before their candles, so according to what need... Marwin's saying. Oh, it says I lost my network in connection. There. Did you guys get any of that? Did he die? Hello, Matt. Live, damn you, live! Was it a sneak shadow baby cutting him off before he could tell too much? Could be. But man, this is a long delay. This is rare. We don't see this kind of thing very much. I wonder if he's still talking and he doesn't even know he's gone yet. Because I do that. So. He's less verbose than me, but. Oh, okay. Oh, he's gone. He's going to be back here in a minute. Hopefully he kept recording. I bet he did, because he's a pro. Or at least semi-pro, as we can put ourselves. Yep. Come on, Matt. Am I back? You're back, man. You okay? Oh. I feared a nuclear I attack until I, I realized that I was fine. And then I was like, there's no nuclear attack. And you're like seven minutes away from yeah, me. Yeah, so. or less. Uh, I don't know. Sorry about that. Uh, you were talking about um, you were talking about I think things I'm okay now. across. Uh, across I was just going on about Marwin. Yeah, Marwin. Go ahead. It's forbidden. And deserts with one of these glass oh candles. Oh my god! We'll never find again. the answer. <laughs> we'll never have it. Matt, turn off your video. What in the world? Low is in 118 episodes. <laughs> This has never happened. This is a first where Matt has gone down twice. I've never seen, we have not had that happen. I'm sorry so, for congratulations. bringing uh, the curse. Oh yeah, it's totally your fault. You should totally take the blame. Yeah. I blame you. This is ridiculous. You okay, man? I guess. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. Well, you know. Seriously. 
These things happen. Like midnight hits and, <laughs> yeah. and it goes to pot. Gremlins and shit. Or maybe I'm really not supposed to make this. Maybe I'm really not supposed to make this point about Marwin. <laughs> oh, he's stopping you. Yeah, it's the glass candles, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's the glass candle. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm going to keep my camera off as well. So, Scad, you're the lone remaining visual. It's fine. I'm beautiful. So it, uh, it works out. If everyone looks at me, it's fine. I am you really are. by you far really are. the most interesting man in the world. So. <laughs> was, uh, I will say, Lo, we haven't had a single problem with uh, you coming through since you turned your camera that's good. off. That's true. That's good. Yeah. For what that's worth. Yep. Yeah, for what that's worth. Um, uh, shall I try one more time? Yeah. I guess. I think it'd be terrible not to get so, this point after all this time. Third time's the charm. <laughs>